Alright, you ready? Ready. Cool. Welcome to the timeline. Everything that happens, happened. How does, Some... that, work? How does that work? That works pretty well. I guess it that happen. It will happen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this is the not very regular because of lockdown measures uh, podcast that talks about media and films and things fantas fantasy and fantastical and made up made uppy as we like to call it. Is it made up though? Or is it reality? You never know. Could be the Matrix. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> like comic books and films, and um, we take them and we we put them in a timeline of all things um and we've been doing so on this is the second well first season technically and we are at the third x-men movie as we're looking at x-men and um but this is the fourth episode isn't it because we did generation oh, yeah. x i forgot about that i forgot about that episode right? uh, yeah not many people have <laughs> looked at that listened to or li watched that episode um but it still did a few numbers, not not great numbers. But um, we're looking at today, X-Men Last Stand. Uh, my good friend, how have you been doing? I've been doing all right, actually, yeah. Fine. Been focusing on my health this year. Um, doing a lot of walking. A lot of cardio classes. And I've subscribed to those meals. Ah. So I just do air classes. All right. Um... Yeah, I've been thinking about getting the idea of getting back to the gym. I bought a exercise bike yesterday, oh, and that should be arriving Tuesday. So hopefully, I can get back on the bike, so to speak. We're talking about X Men. Yes, we we do have a few. So if we were to list it, it's we're at X Men last stand now, but we have um, Wolverine Origins. Next. Oh, I forgot what was it. Origins. <laughs> Yep, that's the next one, I'm afraid. Um, Is that the one we released originally? Was it X-Men Origins? Yeah, X-Men Origins, Wolverine, First Class, The Wolverine, Days of Future Past, Days of Future Past, The Rogue Cut. Is it that all? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I like Days of Future Deadpool, Past, yeah, I say Deadpool. I'm going to see Deadpool. So. Well, you, we will now. Um, X Men Apocalypse. And Logan. Logan. Deadpool Two. X X Men. Uh, Dark Phoenix. And it will all wrap up with uh, New Mutants. Oh. See, I so that's I like half of them. twelve more. Wow, well, we got. <laughs> we got a lot. So, of, we got a lot. So we've of got four out of the way. That will take us the whole year. <laughs> so we are a third of the way through. And the only reason this has taken so long is because of the sort of lockdown yeah. stuff. We were good have done this sooner. Makes it more trickier. <sighs> so uh, we sh I should probably mention that we do have an email address, um, timelinepod at gmail.com. And uh, if you're listening, feel free to give us any thoughts about the show, um, the film that we've watched, the films we have watched, any comments on the old episodes, that would be nice. Um and as you heard, X Men, the next X Men canon film we're going to be looking at is X Men Wolverine and Origins. Wolverine, Origins, all right. 
Wolf Wayne's a bit. <laughs> well, I'm confused. Origins, alright? Yeah, Origins, yeah. Origins is the one they go with the new cast, isn't it? No, no. Oh. <laughs> no. No, X Men Origins. Wolverine. Oh, oh. <laughs> You're, we're confused now. I'm confused, yeah. Yeah, the next one coming up is X Men Origins Wolverine. Okay. Uh, and that's yes. Yes, that's uh, it. That's, I've not seen it, but it's going to be the tipping point. You've not isn't seen it? it? No. Oh, you're in for a treat. <laughs> so that's the one next one coming up. If anybody's got any comments or views or or seen it and uh, wants to share their opinion or has a short review, timeline pod at gmail dot com, and uh, we'll read them out on future episodes yeah. as soon as we start getting in some. You know, our listener numbers aren't so bad overall. They're not great. And only a couple it's, hundred. It's a start, though, is it? But, like, the first episode's, like, almost 300 really? listeners. So, you know. Thank you, your 100 listeners. I guess once we get down to you doing it in a, a yeah. cadence, it will help as well. Like, <laughs> no, no, I use this big gap because of lockdown yeah. as an opportunity to kind of restructure yeah. some of the show. The show will still sound very similar, but you may see and hear new things like. once once COVID is sorted then we'll yeah. be able to <laughs> so I'll, I'll I'll put in the description as well and on Twitter and um, wherever else you may find this that uh, we you know we have a YouTube channel so up until this episode all of them have just been the, the icon with the audio from the show but I'm going to start imp- putting in video okay. content into it into episodes and Hopefully, try and create standalone video special features like side content, yeah. which you don't have to worry about doing. <laughs> I'm going to do that myself. But, although, if you want to, you can. Well, I might eventually. But we'll see what we, what we can come up with. So, hopefully, when you hear this, if you're watching on YouTube and listening to this, you're seeing some sort of appropriate video yeah. flash up. And it's not just a random panning shot of something and then another <laughs> cut in shot and then the zoom into another picture that's what's um, going to be alright that's what the internet's all about now <laughs> uh, so uh, what is your personal history of X-Men Last Stand because I remember you telling me that you, you you've got a bit of uh, history with it you like it I like it I still like it yeah you still <laughs> I still like it you still like it so wait, how many times have you watched it I think you watched it once and then you said you had to watch it again to make notes or? yeah I've seen, well recently I've watched it but I've probably watched it about 20 times in the whole wow <laughs> I used to watch this a lot when I was a kid so I love this I think it's more times than I would have watched it when it originally came out but I watched it a few times I think it was the first one I remember noticing Blu-ray had a real difference on yeah. the film but I, I thought I'd watched it probably more times than you but no 20 is yeah. probably quite I used a to watch more. it quite a lot when I was younger I quite like this actually I don't know why it's just well, we, can go, it. we can go into why I mean to each their own Obviously, uh, I, I hope you recognise that there are still some problems with this film. <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot of problems, but I feel like <laughs> it's maybe because I feel like I love Magneto, and this is like Magneto's coming out film. I guess it's like I don't know. I see, I see what why why you might be saying that, but I don't know if I agree yeah. with what I suspect is why. Is <laughs> what I'm dancing around it because I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Um, but do you, what what before watching it again, how long it had been for you? It's probably been about what? Probably close to eight years, maybe. So a fair amount of time. So I'm not one of those people that will watch a film like now in my adult life. I don't really watch films over that I've seen before. Mm. I don't know why. I just 
Except for Batman Begins. Yeah, you, you got that one. Batman Begins is my no, favorite favorite of those mm. three. So what? I normally watch that trilogy maybe once a year. And no. Robocop, the original Robocop, I seem to watch that <laughs> a lot. But apart from that, I don't really go back and watch films. Like I just, mm. I don't see. It. I don't know why. No, you get to see more that way, I suppose. Get to see more, I guess. But then you don't. You're, yeah, you're the, every time, every time you watch something, you don't get to watch something else. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember ever disliking this, but going back to it, I started immediately because I suppose you start when you start doing something like this, you start thinking a bit more critically yeah. about certain things. And um, I did see flaws in there and problems in there, like even going back to the first couple of X Men movies and watching. I almost find it hard to grasp why people latched on to Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Hugh Jackman's a fine actor. Really good actor. The Wolverine characters are really strong outside of the films. But this version of Wolverine isn't the Wolverine from the comic. And he's inconsistent in the yeah. films for some reasons. And in the first two films, he's a bit of a sex creep. Um, because of how he treats Jean. Or how he sees her. Like when you bring together all the hours they were ever on screen, they were only together for in a couple of scenes. And by the second film, he's already tried, like forcing kisses on her. <laughs> it's crazy how he's in love with her, even though she's even though she's got a boyfriend as well. But he's still and in front of the boyfriend. He's still doing that. Like <laughs> yeah. it's just like <laughs> it's, it's like it's really questionable sort of behaviour. But it's not like how Wolverine would behave. So it's a unique version of the character. It just happens to have the same name. Like, but by the later, like obviously by the late films, it's justified why people like the character, especially maybe. like Logan. Yeah, like that's like people, and you know, he could he could be this character and be a great character in a great film still, but it's not I quite the same. When it's, they, when they recast him eventually, they make it more like the comic. Like, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what a new take on the character would be. Because I feel like, yeah, that's always Jackman's Wolverine. I guess like you can't be. It, but again, I think we're we're seeing with this third film. There is an inconsistency even in his performance yeah. of the character, um, which we'll get to. Um, but yeah, that was interesting. Mm. I think it's been uh, it's, that you've watched it that many times, and <laughs> I suppose we can talk more in depth as we go along. Mm. But um, it's been that time, and you've come back to it, and you still appreciate that. That's cool. You know, my favorite one out of the three we've seen so far. So. Oh, really? <laughs> that's really interesting. I, th- I, I think the second one is. You mean four we've seen per, the well, other cars? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the the second one's probably the better film of the the proper trilogy, yeah. uh, on a technical and writing level. I think overall, but I can see how you might appreciate this one more. Um, so let's have a little look at the history of the series. So let's get into pre-production first. For your references and plot pieces, this film is based on two comic book stories. The most notable and obvious is the Dark Phoenix Saga. Uh, I assume you've heard of the Dark Phoenix yes. Saga. Do you ever read any of that? I think I did, but I can't remember. Everybody's seen the iconic cover. Yeah. Right, and things like that. But Obviously, this Dark Phoenix and that Dark Phoenix are totally different in a way. Yeah, we'll get, <laughs> we'll get onto that. And... Um, 
you know, the, the character and the story was somewhat portrayed in the cartoons in the 90s. So you may have seen that. That's what I'm really getting confused. I've seen the because yeah. maybe that's what. Yeah, a lot of people probably have. A lot of that is pretty faithful to elements of the story arcs that were in the comics, although very different um, still. But there are elements there that are recognisable. Um, but it also features the narrative points pulled from gifted. I'm doing Diff- air quotes <laughs> there. Gifted, which was a part of Joss Whedon's run on Astonishing X-Men in 2004. So really close to the production of this film, there was a storyline that it took some bits from. Uh, For the Phoenix Saga, uh, returning from a mission in space, Jean Grey is exposed to deadly radiation of a solar flare and briefly attains her ultimate potential as a telepath and telekinetic. Jean becomes a being of pure thought and then reforms herself upon the return to Earth with a new costume, identity, and power of Phoenix. Air quotes. Over the course of several issues, Jean learns to control her power, is corrupted by the Hellfire Club, who we will talk about in future episodes, I'm, I'm very sure, uh, into becoming a member of their group, and she becomes a sort of supervillain. Uh, so, side note on the Hellfire Club, uh, Uncanny X-Men 132 and 134, uh, was heavily inspired by the Avengers television episode A Touch of Brimstone not Marvel's Avengers but ITV's mm. British television show Avengers um, which is interesting like the, the TV show Avengers influenced Marvel comics to make characters based on the Avengers yeah. <laughs> and that's a very confusing thought uh, the overall arc of the narrative eventually leads to Jean committing suicide in order to contain her powers as the phoenix. Um, obviously, this is a highly abridged look at this story. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people I know don't really know about the comics. I'm like, they're like, oh, yeah. I know the MCU. I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh, the other storyline, as mentioned, is The Gifted. Um, the first story arc focused on uh, intro- introduction of several key characters and their involvement on the team. We didn't. Uh, introduced a mutant cure designed by Indian biotech scientist Dr. Kavita Rao who was secretly sponsored by warrior alien Ord I don't know who this character is so don't ask <laughs> the prospect of real humanity arouses the interests of a heavily mutated beast who visits Rao only to discover that the drug is a product of illegal human experimentation on an unknown victim the X-Men raid uh, Bantek and reunite with Colossus. And with Colossus's help, the team takes down Ord, but not before it's revealed that a mutant, most likely an X-Man, would destroy Ord's home planet, the Breakworld, within the next three years. Within this 2005 arc, we then brought back Colossus after four years of his being death, dead in 2001. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think that means that Colossus was the, the person or mutant they were experimenting on. I, I haven't read it, so um, from my very brief research into that storyline. But obviously the mutant cure thing comes from there and the reactions. And, um, the Doctor that's mentioned that was working on it in comics is the woman Doctor you see in the film. Huh. 
great actress she is. Oh, yes. Notable characters introduced or focused on in this film. Firstly is Jean Grey, or The Phoenix, for the reasons that are pretty obvious made by by the end of the last film. Uh, the main narrative character is primarily supposed to be Jean Grey. Um, real name, Jean Elaine Grey Summers, because eventually she got married to Scott. Spoilers. It happened about 20 years ago, so don't have a go. Not any um, <laughs> Her aliases are Red Dayspring, Red, Jeannie, Miss Psyche, Marvel the Fay, Phoenix, obviously, White Phoenix of the Crown, Genie, Cute Tomato, <laughs> Red Riding Hood, and most notably, Marvel Girl. Um, she was created by Stanley and Jack Kirby, as pretty much every character in this series is going to be. And her first appearance was in X Men. No guesses? Dark Phoenix. <laughs> X Men number one. Oh, September 1963. 63. So she's like literally the OG female X Men. That's such a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wouldn't know. I wasn't around then. Uh, the second key character. Wolverine, but again, we aren't going to talk too much into his history. Yeah, we've got enough because we've got a lot of Wolverine to talk about in the future, and I've got a key point when we're going to start talking about Wolverine. So, uh, thirdly, although you wouldn't know it, Angel, uh, real name Warren Kenneth Worthington the uh, Third. His aliases are Gabriel, Apocalypse, Dark Angel of Death. Dark Angel, Death, Avenging Angel, uh, Saviour of the Chosen, Angel of Death, you get a lot of this, mm. WW, Overgrown Mosquito, Overgrown mosquito. Little yeah. Sparrow, Horseman of Life, Little Mr. Modest, The One with Wings, Arrogant One, Birdman, Wingman, Fourth Horseman, Pretty Boy, Michael the Archangel, Hellspawn, Abomination, Spawn of Satan, and Son of Darkness. And somebody's at my doors. Yay, my human organs came. It's got those angel wings for angels. <laughs> Finally, Bobby Drake, or Bobby. Iceman. Don't like him. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> real name, oh Christ, real name, Robert Lewis Bobby Drake. Alias is Rampage, Drake Roberts, Frosty, uh, Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze. <laughs> Frosty. <laughs> he said Arnold Schwarzenegger's in my head. <laughs> well, frozen one. It's ri- written F R I E S E. Because um, they can't go with Mr. Freeze, obviously. Ice Hulk, Ice Heart, Mr. Tasty Freeze. Um, he was created by Stanley and Jack Kirby, like every other character, like Angel. And his first appearance was. Number one. September 1963. Well, one year later. No, same time. Same time. Yeah, all of them were September 1963, except uh, as you may know, we've been keeping tally of Jubilees, and we're still at three of three so far, or three of 
four films. And this, did she was in this one? She was in this one. She didn't say anything, but she oh. was there. Same actress as X-Men 2. She was just in that classroom scene we'll talk about later. Um, And we get our second, finally, of, what are we on, seven films? Second official Stanley uh, spotting. Oh, yeah, I thought it was great. It's like, whose part was that? Um, And for the most part, we're going to just keep seeing him for for the next few films, I think. So we've got some new and introduced actors. Uh, first and most notable is Kelsey Grammer. Uh, Alan Kelsey Grammer was born on February 21st of 1955. He's an American actor, comedian, producer, director and writer who's best known for what? No idea, he doesn't know. His two-decade-long portrayal of psychiatrist Dr. Fraser Crane on the NBC sitcom Cheers and its spin-off, Frasier, as them. well as his voice work <laughs> in The Simpsons as Sideshow Bob. Oh, that crazy man. Anastasia in 1997, and he was in Toy Story 2 in 1999. Oh. He's the old prospector toy. Oh. The second notable actor that's just joined us is Vinnie Jones. <laughs> We're going to get into Vinnie Jones. So. <laughs> oh. Uh, Vincent Peter Jones, born 5th of January 1965, is a British actor, producer, singer, presenter and former professional footballer. Jones played as a defensive midfielder from 1984 to 1999, notably for Wimbledon, Leeds United, Sheffield United, Chelsea and Queen's Park Rangers. He also played for and captained the Welsh national team, having qualified through the Welsh grandparents. So he had Welsh grandparents. As a member of the famous Crazy Gang in football, he won the 1988 FA Cup final with Wimbledon, a club for which he played over 200 games during two spells between 1986 and 1998. He played 184 games in the Premier League, in which he scored 13 goals. He was noted for his very aggressive and physically uncompromising style of play, earning him a Hold man, image on the field. (laughs) (laughs) Since retiring from football in 1998, Jones capitalised on his tough image and is now best known as a film actor who plays fearsome demeanour and physical characters. He is often typecast as violent criminals and thugs. His film career began with Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels in 1998. And continued roles in films such as Snatch, Gone in 60 Seconds, and Mean Machine. Obviously, we're going to stop before we get too far into anybody's history, because we stop at the beginning of the film here. But um, if we see them in something else afterwards, we'll we'll cover that later. The next person we're going to talk about, we're going to have to go into this in a little bit depth, because much with, for very different reasons... Uh, Brian Singer in the first episode of this series we probably need to address a couple of things before we go forward Um, and I want to be sensitive about this properly because I I know there may be people listening although it's incredibly unlikely in the modern day who don't know so I want to provide context and the way we may talk about certain things may get a little confusing if you don't know about this context and this character and this actor's history. So next to join the cast is Elliot Page. Um, 
they are credited as Ellen Page, born February 21st, 1987, and they are a Canadian actor and producer. So I took time to consider how best to cover Elliot Page respectfully here since his coming out as trans in 2020, knowing that this film was coming up. Because we started covering the X-Men films before Elliot Page came out as Elliot Page, right? It was odd starting the series having him come out during pre-production. It's interesting to see how shows he is currently part of will handle the fact that he's come out. Uh, at least from a narrative and script side of things. Uh, he is currently cast in the Umbrella Society, for example, and assuming he is to be in a third series, will we'll show the will the show recast the actor uh, or another actor to play I think the female role? He said that role? he will be the played character, but yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. that means, I don't know. Like, um, will they keep Paige on and make the character trans too, or will they keep will will Paige play a female character? Again, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how productions work with this and how they handle moving forward and how progressive, you know, creative medias are going to be from this point on. Um, mainly because Paige is quite well known, you know, more than anything. Um, uh, I personally hope that whatever happens is handled respectfully and delicately. Obviously. Um, and again, like we, we, we hope that it will be handled properly. Uh, whatever happens, and I'm glad to see that uh, society it it's in a place right now where he felt he could more safely come out as trans. Now, um, no doubt he will still face challenges, obviously, but I can't imagine it being quite so easy about ten years ago. Probably not. No. Um, and this is obviously like I say, easy. It obviously hasn't been easy, but the it's it's. While there's still terrible things going on, the world isn't in such a place where I guess, I guess it is it's better. more the Western world. Is what you like. I w- I don't want to dive into conversations yeah. about that. Of course, but I feel like yeah. I don't want to make statements that sound like one thing when the intent is another. Yeah. It's very easy to fall into a trap saying something where you mean something else and um, cause offence where where you know no one was attended. Well, obviously, if we ever cause offence. I assume we're both very open to apologising profusely, and um, we like the content and context and tone and intent are all very important. And um, you know, I, I hope that nothing we say is of, of any offence. And if we have caused any offence in the previous episodes, then I can only apologise and aim to do better in future. Um, as for this podcast and our addressing his coming out. Obviously, we deal with actors historically, and as such, for clarity and accuracy, I've included the one reference from earlier to the fact Elliot is credited under a different name. Uh, I've included it only this one time to address the facts as they stand, and now so that in future, and listeners not aware of who Elliot is, that not knowing about the recent news around him can go forward with better understanding. Uh, but in future works covered, be it in future X-Men films or any other franchise film or media, I will personally only be referring to Elliot by his name now. We won't dead name at all. And I apologise if mentioning the name they were credited under uh, earlier has caused offence as well. I don't want to um, do that. But 
you know, obviously, if you are going to watch this film, you might see their name come up. And then if you listen to this at the same time or a similar time and you're like, who are they talking about? Like, I, I want to be obvious about that. Um, and again, most people probably know. So it's probably a bit moot going on about it now. Um, I politely, though, uh, if you are listening and don't understand, if you don't agree with this or don't like this decision on our part to, you know, refer to them by their chosen name now and who they are, then I politely ask you to stop listening. And uh, you can go away. You can stop listening to the show now because I'm sure anybody else who will appear on the show with me um, have no time to give you if that's the case uh, I I don't want to speak for you but I assume you're pretty much yeah. respectful as well um, and with that I hope we can move forward really <laughs> um, we may ref- we will refer to the character as they appear in the film obviously because the character is a female character so for the sake of explaining things that are happening in the film it might be re- important to reference the character's name and who they are, you know. But you know, that's as far as we go. Us being awkward is nowhere near along the lines of the challenges somebody in the trans community probably faces every day. So um a slight inconvenience for me in limitless nothing for, for somebody else. Um he first became known, though, uh for his role in the film and television series Pit Pony in uh, ninety seven to two thousand for which he was nominated for a Young Artist Award and for recurring roles in Trailer Park Boys in 2002 and Regenesis in 2004. Page also received recognition... Yeah, uh, Page also received recognition for his role in the film Hard Candy in 2005 and won an Austin Film Critics Association Award. There are more notable films they've been in but they took place after this film. So we won't mention them just yet. Also of note, we get Eric Dane as Jamie Madrox, or the Multiple Man. Uh, the Great Bill Duke as Trask. Put a pin in that one for now. Okay, Remember Bill Duke as Trask. Because <laughs> yeah, we're going to come back to that at some point in the future. Um, uh, so ho- so oh, I'm so sorry, we've gone back to the old days. So, sorry, sorry, sorry. How would you say that? S o s h o h r e h. Well, I'm going with sorry. Ag dashlu. So I don't want to offend people again. Sorry. Yeah, I'm so sorry to anybody who's offended, but I am trying. <laughs> As Kavita Rao. Um. So the doctor we were talking about earlier. Uh, Diana Ramirez as Callisto. In the comics, she's the leader of the Morlocks. Oh. Um, and Ben Foster as Angel. This film don't look... See, you notice how I didn't give him uh, credit yeah. about his age and because he is so le- unfeatured. He's not really a lead. I feel like they just put him in to put him in there. He doesn't really... He's in... Like, He's an important character of this narrative that they're trying to make, hey. like tell. But is this make they make him feel like? Obviously, in the comics, he's one of the. I guess he's in the probably top ten. Powerful is, but is he not? Yeah, no, he's not got great powers. Even when he's mutated and changed by another character later. 
but he's one of the first X-Men, yeah. so he's important. But it's interesting that he's so barely featured. Unused. He's featured more than Cyclops. Well, <laughs> but, I don't know why that is. <laughs> yeah. Right, and coming on board as our second director in the series, or third director, I suppose, technically, but second director in the main series is Brett Ratner. Born March 28th, 1969, is, he's an uh, American director and producer. He directed the Rush Hour film series. I love those films. Family Man, Red Dragon, and uh, obviously X-Men Last Stand. He's also a producer of several films, including Whole Bosses series, uh, The Revenant and War Dogs. Obviously, these are later films. We'll get on to more about Brett Ragnar later. He started directing with music videos in the 1990s and directed his first motion picture, Money Talks, in 1997. Um, and he, then in 1988, he directed Rush Hour in 2000, Money, uh, Family Man. Uh, 2001, Lady Luck, Rush Hour 2, and 2002, Red Dragon. Uh, and finally, in 2004, After the Sunset, before... It's interesting, his scope of films, though. He is what many would call in the industry a director for hire. Obviously, yeah. I so, can tell by his, like... Yeah. Um, and maybe he is one of the flaws of the film. We won't talk too much about him. But there are some things we need to talk about with regards to Brett Ratner later. Um, so hold any sort of comments <laughs> about him. Um, other notable people, actors and crew, in order of script relevancy. Hugh Jackman, undoubtedly now considered the lead of the series. And that's pretty clear in the third film. And the second film, he's kind of the most popular character after that comes out. But he's not. Script-wise, he's not the lead. Uh, since X2... It's a lot of Hugh Jackman, this one, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yes, and we will address that to an extent later. Uh, since uh, X2, Hugh has appeared in 2004's profile of a serial killer as Eric Ringer, made for television. He was Van Helsing in Van Helsing, the London assignment, and also Van Helsing in Van Helsing. Uh, in 2004's Happy Feet as Memphis and Flushed Away as Roddy. So he does a bit of voice acting too. His most notable role may have been in The Prestige as Robert Angler. What a film. A Angie. What a film. What a film. Yes, it's probably his best work. Only thing he's directed though, that's why. Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Amazing director. If you, if you can't tell, he just chef kissed the fact <laughs> that Christopher Nolan exists. Um, uh, Are you actually show me his first film? Chris Nolan's first film. Sorry? You actually show me Chris Nolan's first film. Back Did in I? the day at Asda, when you used to do that little. What, what, what film was momentum. that? Momentum. That wasn't his first film. Oh, he did he did the town the town. Yeah, yeah. But obviously that's not like his first populist film. Yeah. Yeah. Good film, Memento. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um next up, Halle Berry. See now you notice how I, I've listed the actors who are returning in script uh relevancy and I've only gone through Hugh Jackman and now Halle Berry. So uh, who who do you think should be higher up in the script? We'll see in a minute. After starring in X2, Berry uh, parlayed her Oscar win into two starring lead roles. In 2003's Gothica as Miranda Gray 
and 2004's Catwoman oh. as Patience Phillips or Catwoman. Both yeah. films are two of the of critically most panned films of all time. I was there was an OC the other day about Cat, Catwoman. I've watched some scene, and you know, camera camera cuts in, in his one basketball scene. It's ridiculous. It's just like cut, cut, cut. It's like what? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know enough of that scene, but it's not just the camera cuts. It's like, what's she doing? What was? What is this performance? Halle Berry. Yeah, she's cool. like for, for such a good actress who had an Oscar win to immediately make two of the worst films ever recorded. <laughs> I what she it it must this. have tanked. I wonder what she thinks of those films. Tanked her her in the eyes of Hollywood within a few short months right and she's again she's a great actress she's done great things but just to have such bad luck you know I guess it comes down to picking a film as well reading the script and like yeah. <laughs> at some point like you do Gothica pick... had more potential <laughs> than Catwoman but I guess he's like some, sometimes the actors if I was it because they read the script they but money I guess is it's it? a bit of everything of it's money. loads of different factors um at least they were lead roles for her. Yeah. Uh, she she punted and she's still going as well like now. So. Yeah, yeah, and so. she's barely aged today too. So. Yeah, she's not done her too much harm. And the fact I love that one of the films did really badly. She went to the Golden Razzies yeah. and actually collected her award for that worst yeah. performance. So so fair play to her. Uh, next in order of importance in the script is Ian McKellen. Uh, post X2, McKellen returned to Lord of the Rings, Return of the King as Gandalf the White. Amazing, amazing. And uh, also had a notable role in the Magic Roundabout film as Zebedee. Never watched that book. I'm sure, sure it's great. It seemed all right. Uh, and was also in 2006's Flushed Away with uh, Hugh Jackman as the Toad. He also had a key role in The Da Vinci Code as Sir Lee Teabag. Is he in that? I don't remember that. Teabag, Teabing. Teabag, let's call him Teabag from now on. Teabag. He's like, uh, I think, one of the villains, maybe? I mean, I watched I the film once. So I like, I've, yeah. never, I've never seen it, but I've seen enough trailers to see him. You know, his performance, yeah. you can tell when he's being bad and being good. Yeah. Um, next up was Famke Jensen. Uh, taking the narrative front and centre is one thing, but she's not quite given the star time she could be here. And we'll get to that. So, like... The story narrative is based around Jean's Grey, but she barely gets to do very much work. She's along for the ride. Yeah, and it's like, she's just there, you know. Uh, since X2, she's only had a couple of notable roles. In 2004, uh, Eulogy as Judy Arnolds, and in 2005's Hide and Seek as Dr. Catherine Carson. Next up is Patrick Stewart. Oh, English. What was that? <laughs> That's another issue of this film. What, 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 what? Do you want to go into... Or do we want to save it to the scene? Save it to a scene. Oh. Right. <laughs> um, since X2, he has done more voice work than live action. But he's been very busy in games and animation. You'd be surprised how much work this guy. He's just a workhorse. Uh, notable roles include The Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion as Emperor, Emperor Uriel Septim. I remember it actually, because I think it was on stage or something or somewhere. It came out and I had a massive thing back in the day. What did you buy He's in 2005's Chicken Little as Mr. Woolensworth, a guest spot on Extras as himself, 
uh, and the English dub of Steamboy as Dr. Lloyd Steam. He also voiced both Captain Picard and Charles Xavier in most all games based around X-Men and Star Trek at this time. Really? Like, like, instead of I having feel like get... he's such an underrated actor. Though. I don't know, I feel like... He's both underrated, but he's also willing to do anything. Yes, he's like, yeah. <laughs> you know? It doesn't matter if it's good or bad, he'll do it. And he, he doesn't mind if people don't like it or if he's judged for it. We know, he doesn't seem to be in a massive, massive blockbuster film, like, you know, like... Yeah. You don't see him like, but he's just... He does, he does like doing a lot of theatre, does he, Waldo? The problem is... Look, the biggest films he's been in have been like spin-offs from the Star Trek yeah. TV series. <laughs> yeah. And to an extent, while that's fine, I've just spent the last couple of months watching all of the Star Trek Next Generation series. He's a great actor and it's a great series. And the films based around that have hit, even if they've been hit and miss, he's been great in them as a performer. But he is typecast as yeah. well. So it's a shame, but um, you know, he still gets tons of work. Uh, I always wanted to go and see Waiting for Godot with him and Ian McKellen, and I didn't get the chance, and I, I kicked myself about that. Anyway, it was they were playing yeah. really, really close because they're good friends, aren't they? In yes, life, anyway, they, like... they, they, they always seem to have a laugh together. <laughs> um, the next up is Aaron Stanford. Uh, since X2, he's had roles in several films, including Live Free or Die Hard. And the Hills Have Eyes remake, which yeah. I, I appreciate the Hills Have Eyes remake. Um, I think I've seen it once. Is alright. Yeah, it was alright. Um, Sean Ashmore, he's returning to the role of Iceman, having far more uh, full role this time around. Sean Ashmore has been in My Brother's Keeper, and The Quiet as Connor, along with other projects. Um, next up is Anna Paquin. Uh, in The Last Stand, it feels like she takes a much reduced role, even though she was like the lead character, at least from a narrative point of view, uh, in the first film. Uh, she's also kind of a key component in the arguments presented in the narrative as well. Uh, Six X2, she's also in Steam Boy as James Ray Steam, and live-action drama The Squid and The Whale as Lily. So that's interesting. Like A lot of the people from the films have started working on other projects no. together um, or have just happened to have uh, the last uh, one of the last couple of people Rebecca, Rebecca let's try that again Rebecca Remain has had a few roles since X2 but more interestingly is her role in Marvel's The Punisher starring Thomas Jane oh she jumps ships she's like, oh. well, sideways sort of jump <laughs> I always appreciated that series film um we might talk talk about punisher at some point in the future yeah. as well um because it's a, it would be a shorter number of films to cover oh it's free isn't it there are Unless punisher, well, if, we, want, if we go into the tv series that's going to be a bit longer Bastic, but, but punisher uh, punisher there was there was a punisher starring dolph lundgren yeah. There was the Punisher. There was Punisher Warzone, and then there's that short as well, was Punisher it? Short that yeah. we talk about. That was really good. That Punisher Short. Yeah, um, and I think that's it until the TV series that came along. Um, and lastly, and I'm afraid leastly at the bottom of the barrel, sadly, is James Marsden. Once again, given the rawest of deals here, since X2, 
He's been in 2004 smash hit The Notebook. The 24th day, 2005's Heights as Jonathan Kessler. Oh, and Superman Returns in early 06. Really? He was in that too. <sighs> another underrated film. Uh, another underrated actor as well. So, um, yes, before we get into the screenplay, any sort of thoughts on anybody there? I just wanted to see more Professor X. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is interesting that Jensen gets so little time. Especially since in the comics, and like the, even in a cartoon, it's such a. Like, the whole thing is built around him, like, it's just, he's like. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's get into the X Men film yeah. history. So, X-Men Last Stand film timeline. So, we... I watched it on Blu-ray, Region 2. It was a basic release, so it wasn't the two-disc one. Um, there were a few extras on there we may cover in a little while once we've talked through the film script and everything. Um, but the version I have has less extras than I've seen on previous versions. And... I tried finding the extra I was thinking of that I'd seen, I remember seeing. But I went on YouTube to try and find it. I found other places that have other extras that aren't on this Blu-ray. And it still didn't have the extras I remember yeah. from the two-disc Blu-ray. So it's interesting to see how certain things have been lost or in different places. Uh, but I watched it on the one-disc Blu-ray. How did you watch it? Disney Plus. Okay. In 4K HDR. <laughs> <laughs> I did go back and rewatch it on the yeah. Disney Plus as well. I'm guessing the same as the one you watched on DVD, I'm guessing. As far as I can tell, yeah. all the scenes are the same on the Blu-ray as they are in um, the Disney Plus option. Uh, there's no extras on Disney Plus. No. I don't know that much. Um, and I don't think there's any sort of bonus features or anything, like weird documentaries yeah. like were on X-Men 1. Um... Anyway, let's get into it. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. So, uh, old school Fox logo. And as it fades out, you see an X yeah. linger for a split second longer. Marvel Comics logo, but everything's scenes from the comics for X-Men. Where previously, I think they were slightly different. And it's like, I think maybe the first time we probably see that Marvel Comics logo where it's all the pages flipping yeah. and stuff. Opening. Daytime. Suburbia. We see uh, uh, down a road from inside a garden. The post box out front reads grey 1769. Nice. A uh, black car rolls up and out steps a digitally de-aged Professor X followed by Eric. That's what I thought. I was like... We're going to get to that. <laughs> the subtitle reads 20 years ago. I still don't know why I'm here. Couldn't you just make them say yes? Yes, I could, but it's not my way. And I would expect you of all people would understand my feelings about the misuse of power. Ah, power corrupts and all that. Yes, I know, Charles. When are you going to stop lecturing me? When you start listening. <laughs> and you're here because I need you. 
We're not going to have to meet every one of them in person, are we? No. This one's special. What a beautiful cat. Not a lot to work from, John, but we know it's 20 years in the past. Yes, the brochure is great. Um, the film came out in 06. So from this perspective, this should be 86. 86. For the moment. This, this this film got me really excited. I got to one point in the film and I got very excited about timeline potentials. Uh, anyway, that's me nerding out about it. He doesn't understand why he's there and asks Charles, doesn't make the, why doesn't he make them say yes, he says. He questions if they will visit all in person and he says, this one is special. Inside, a couple uh, looks at a brochure as Charles and Eric's have, have a nice relax on their sofa. Yeah. The man, John Gray, asks about Jean and her illness. This ruffles Eric's feathers a little, and Xavier steps in and asks to see Jean. Uh, a little a red-haired girl comes down and enters the room, and both Xavier and, uh, and Eric stare at the girl, showing off their creepy plasticine faces. <laughs> I find it most notable here. When she comes down in the scene, she comes down and there's a camera angle looking out the window and she passes Magneto. And he looks worse out of the two of them. It's slightly ghostly. It's I think it probably makes it worse if you see it 4K. Because I guess back in the yeah. day we saw it as On you, tape. Yeah, you, you'd be like, okay. Like, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. When you see it in 4K, you're like, oh. That for, looks... for, for Patrick Stewart, it's such a little difference between how he really looks anyway. I feel like yes. makeup make probably achieved the same thing. Like. Yeah, yeah. Um, apparently that process involved just scanning in old pictures of them from that period oh. and then kind of merging it with their faces. But there is still a weird, uncanny sort of yeah. slightly off. It looks off. You, you're... And you may as well have just had given him a wig and a makeup. <laughs> pinned his face back slightly and that would have done it. Um, Charles, Charles tells Jean it's rude to read people's thoughts without permission and explains they are mutants, like her. She immediately acts like an unlikable brat and makes the cars outside levitate while Stan loses her Stan Lee's hose sprays upwards. Cameo number two. Um, the, also, the original writer of this storyline in the comics is the other old guy whose uh, lawnmower flows up in the yeah, yeah, in another cameo. Charles says she has more power than she knows, but will she control it? Or you're a fan of this film? How can you not know that line? <laughs> or will? It control oh, wow. her. <laughs> <laughs> Jump forward ten years ago. Anyway, um, it's 19, nice to have some acknowledgement 19... of passing time. So yes, nineteen ninety-six, <laughs> a city, daytime. That random distressed blonde boy is nipping at his back with something. An older man walks up to the door outside and knocks gently, asking. Warren, son, is everything all right? We see the boy panic and rush to hide away bloody woodworking tools. He breaks down the door. He's like, not you. Oh, God, <laughs> not you. <laughs> your, your dramatic reading of this is quite impressive. <laughs> Dad, I'm sorry, he weeps. And credits. Right. 
Weird cells floating around with wavering tendrils. Lab equipment. DNA. Title card. X-Men The Last Stand. We pull back and then see the title card again as Cerebro's doors close and then we move through the closed doors again as we move to the next scene. Um, Which is always... Doors open. Go through them. Don't close them and that. As a visual code, it's just really annoying. Anyway... Um, what do you think of that opening pair of scenes? Oh, I like it because it's, show- it's showing like the kind of world they set up here, like the hate for like I guess humans both mutants. He's sowing the seeds. You're like, obviously, how can a dad say to his son, "Not you," like treating like that, and the parents calling it a disease? It doesn't come across, to be fair, as vindictive. No, but, but more scared. Yeah, like oh god, like what's going to happen to him? Has he caught? And it is like a disease yeah, yeah, to yeah. him. How it pans out, like he's he's sick. Um, and that's a, an element of ignorance. Yeah. Like the film dances with ideas of you could you could consider some of the narrative and the tropes uh, maybe talking about conversion therapy yeah. and things like that for gay people. Um, although it's not quite as heavily close yeah, to it. that it's very similar yeah. sort of tones and, and conversations happening I feel, I feel like they wish they went harder with that though in this film it would be I can understand why they didn't especially like the third for, film in and they've, kids, got, is it like, yeah. they've got the, the, the slightly yeah. less again I don't want to give a piece of shit like the director of the first two films um, too much credit but he's a better director yeah as a skilled person is, to be fair. Brett Ratner is okay, but he's not a great director. Um, oh, well, we'll get on to Brett Ratner later. Uh, aside from that, like it was good to see a slightly odd-looking younger version of Xavier yeah. and the Shur. You can tell as why their budget went up for effects as well on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Foxes pump no, yeah. Foxes pump some money into the the effects in this one. Mm. <laughs> um, and it, uh, there's an element of them going and not, I suppose, recruiting is a weird term, but inviting people to the school. Cool. That's nice. Um, it does raise some questions. If this is the '80s and she's such a small girl, there are films coming up that we need to address <laughs> these things. The timeline starting next film is going to start getting even more confusing um, just when we finally have a timeline again I'll, I'll get into this anyway um, explosions subtitle <sighs> the not too distant future I don't see what he's to say present day at this point. yeah yeah I don't. <laughs> this, this is going to be more put, put a pin in that one oh. as well because we're going to come back to that oh. subtitle the not too distant future. I don't know how far future that is, but you are about to find out that it's not only not very far future, it's actually the wrong subtitle. <laughs> but we'll get to that. So the first scene was 20 years ago. The next 10 years ago. And now this one is not now, but is in the future. So is it 10 years ago from the not too distant future? So does that mean it's it's 96 or does that mean it's 97? 96 I not guess. Too, how far distant is the not too distant future but that's, that's the, that, I guess I'll say 2006 it could be a week it could be a week <laughs> um, 
anyway, we see Bobby and someone else running through. Oh wait, no. Uh, so ten years, maybe fifty. Uh, anyway, we see somebody else running through a battlefield with Bobby. Lasers. Storm floats down and then runs off again. Colossus and Rogue dodge fire, and then Colossus turns metal while holding Rogue's head and turning her metal, which somehow makes her hair like one solid metal piece. You'd think the hairs individually. Would I still understand how Colossus was that. Anyway, <laughs> um, debris flies off and bounces off them, and smacks a non uh, uh, a nonchalant Logan in the face, um, showing his skull underneath. You know, you see the silver of his his metal skull as he grumbles and smokes off a car as well. He's like, <laughs> oh no, that comes up later. Is that car? Don't get don't get too far ahead. <laughs> Um, Bobby and another student use their powers to freeze one more missile as they embrace and a second phases through them both Rogue runs up and sees them holding each other thanks Kitty he says um, this is supposed to be just a training room with holograms mm-hmm. and stuff and I understand why they're physical but it seriously hurt Wolverine then <laughs> so were they trying to kill the kids <laughs> anyway I mean, obviously, he shrugged it off because he's Wolverine, he can heal, but... Uh, Logan lights his cigar... On a car. On a burning car. (laughs) As Storm says, they're getting killed. He says they aren't ready, but... Not sure what evidence there is for this, but... As so far, all four of the kids have used their powers appropriately, while Storm ran round, and Wolverine stood still and let shit bounce off his head. (laughs) So, actually, they're probably... Maybe... Wolverine thinks the goal is that they're all as inept as he and him, and they should be getting wounds because they've all managed to protect themselves absolutely fine so far. Logan, Storm says firmly, but before she could finish, he tells her to, quote, not get her panties in, in a, a bunch. <laughs> it's a very Wolverine like like line. I'm, I'm sure Gruff likes fighting people. Makes little lines about panties in a bunch. Um, so she has to quickly grab his ignorant ass and fly them both away as a large chunk of concrete lands on the car. <laughs> he complains it was his last cigar. So now he's some sort of Bond character. <laughs> but with no really good lines. So he angrily and slowly walks across the battlefield. Logan asks Tin Man, Colossus, how his throwing arm is before Storm protests. What should you say? Oh, we've got to work as a team. Yeah, Logan, we work as a team. I don't understand that because obviously he's yeah. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that, he jests. <laughs> before immediately working as a team with Colossus <laughs> as they recreate the famous action from the comics, the Fastball yeah, Special. Yeah. So, okay, we've got two two narrative issues I've got going on here. Firstly, they're saying the kids aren't ready, but they're clearly doing fine, while they're not doing anything at all. And secondly, she's complaining that they're not working as a team, while simultaneously they're working as a team. I'm just like, what the fuck's going on? None of this makes sense. Um, I'm glad you noticed that. that. <laughs> I, was like, I, think, I was like, but he's working as a team because he's getting to throw him. It's at the whole point to survive. Like, if you're in a fight with Sentinels, like a fight with Sentinels, like... You're not yeah. going to sit there going... They're clearly <laughs> combining their abilities. It's like, you're not going to sit there going, we need to work more as a team. 
take this sentinel down, it's going to take it down because that thing will kill you. Yeah, and, and it's not, not like they're all sitting down and going, well, what we need to do now <laughs> is have a little planning meeting while everything's blowing up. So get out of your notebooks, kids. Now, what powers do you have, Rogue? Nothing of any use. Great. Um, or maybe you could have both. Maybe Iceman's abilities, whatever. Iceman, turn into some more ice or something. I don't know. Um, it's just... It's, I don't know. Um, Logan is tossed into the void and after a moment several ten ton sort of head falls down and is tossed at the kids I'm not quite sure about the logistics of that because you don't see it happen on screen but is it supposed to be that he's cut the head off picked it up held it sideways and tossed it at them or something (laughs) it just comes out of nowhere Um, I'm not sure who did it because Wolverine doesn't have superhuman strength either he's just good at healing um, the head belongs to a cameo of a villain, the Sentinels. This is the closest we get to see of the classic design, <laughs> and we only see a head. So, you know. Then Logan steps around from behind the head. So, how did he get there? Was he riding on the back of it? Is that. Is that... <laughs> it's like, <laughs> he's clearly a bit too big to be hidden, and he just kind of. It was like he was stead behind it. Hold up. I don't know. I know. Suspension disbelief, but still, logistically, it doesn't quite make sense when you see it visually. He stands out and then full on into the camera. He's, he just goes, Class dismissed. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, This is getting off to a great start. <laughs> uh, the simulation fades away as the team leave the danger room, although it's never given a name. But this is. The danger room from the comics. As were the Sentinels. Storm complains more at Logan for doing what he did. Despite being contradictory, and Logan appears to have fully grown a foot as Storm is now markedly shorter than him. Because, yeah, he's like up here and she's down there, and you're like, what happened there? Did she shrink? All the kids are really short compared to him. Colossus is almost just shy taller of him but anyway cut to Scott sitting on his bed still feeling the effects of Jean's death it's been years but he's sitting there on the bed uh, unlike Logan who is acting both out of character for himself in the previous films and the comics he's also totally unfazed by Jean's death now Logan doesn't seem to get over it (laughs) Scott though he is having flashbacks or PTSD we can assume at least it seems until Gene, he whispers as he is startled back to reality and we hear a voice saying his name in the air. Do you, do you, do you want to do Scott, do, do Gene's voice? <laughs> Gene! Gene! No, Gene. G- do Gene's voice, not mine. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Scott. Scott, come get me. No, I'm doing that. <laughs> Scott. <laughs> <laughs> You've ruined the bit now. Gonna... No, don't get to that yet. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I don't know how I'm doing this. <laughs> um, next scene, we see Rogue as pissed with Bobby for some reason. She turns into a cliche bitchy girlfriend trope. She tells him he's a guy and their minds are only on one thing yeah. and stomps off. Cut to Logan, questioning Scott about his no-showing class. Scott is trying to head out, and Logan grabs his arm as they uh, arm, saying they need to move on. As Scott protests, "Not everybody heals as fast as you, Logan." 
a line highlighting how little Logan seems to be hurting after Jean's death, which is understandable because, as we know, in the first two films, he saw her as an object for conquest yeah. and not a person. <laughs> I'm yeah, still angry about his, his I behavior. had to cover for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, Logan, the first mutant pickup artist. We cut to a building. Uh, the sign reads, Department of Mutant Affairs. Then inside we find someone reading Scientific American. Okay. His hand covers the barcode, but the magazine date is October 2005. We have a final date okay. for the franchise, the first time we've seen a date for anything. It's likely it's actually September 2005 if this magazine is new. Um, you'll find when magazines are printed they have the future month's oh, name yeah. on it. It's always weird to me, though. But... The articles on the front are... Smarter wireless for the internet. New targets for novel drugs. Galactic waves, the cosmic necessity of beautiful spirals. Odd DNA reveals secrets of human evolution, migration and survival. Tracking mutations, in capitals. The forgotten era of brain control chips. Building a better bomb detonator. And ancient crystals from Earth's first continents. So, <laughs> you think this is a prop because it says tracking mutations in such obvious letters. It's from 2005, and the uh, cosmic waves or galactic waves thing could be referencing the phoenix in a sort of Easter egg. But this is a real issue of Scientific American. Oh, no. <laughs> it really did come out in 2005, and those really are the stories on the front. Um, this magazine is Scientific American, volume 293, issue 4. Uh, I've included links to the articles featured in this magazine in the episode details, but I cannot find a specific release or publication date. My opinion is to go with the theory that this film place, takes place not long after the, so the condition for the magazine is near pristine. So let's assume it's November 2005. As a general, it's a general date, I know, uh, but something we can extrapolate from. So, assuming 20 years ago was November 1985, when Charles and Eric visited Jean as a preteen, and 10 years after was 1995, where we saw Warren III attempting to file down his wings. Now, as for the near future, I can't account for that, mainly because this film came out in 2006. And if we go by the magazine, it would have actually been the near past. <laughs> <laughs> so, I assume time of filming is intended to beat the time of taking place. So what does that save the events of X-Men and X2? Well, according to sources I could find, X-Men takes place three years before Last Stand. Most posit the Last Stand takes place in the year 2006, though. As I pointed out, it's actually 2005 or late 2005. So let's go with the benefit of the doubt and set X-Men 2, as in X2, isn't set... Uh, X-Men 2 in 2002, as X2 isn't set far after that. Logan would have taken that long drive from the end of X-Men to the beginning of X2. Let's assume X2 is 2002 or early 2003, because if he's travelled to Canada, he's not travelled around the world on foot. Obviously, if we get any clearer dates later in the film or in the series, we'll use them, and we possibly will. Um, but finally, we have starts of a timeline for X-Men, just in time for things to get... Confusing. Well, you'll get to see how interesting they're going to get anyway. Um, but yes... We, we know when X-Men and X-Men 2 was set. Because they're so close together. And, like, Jean's... Spoilers. 
Jean's hair has grown quite a lot, but not like because it was shortcut next oh, to, yeah. and then it's quite long here. So it's got to have been at least a year, right, for it to gotten quite. Like, some people's hair grows long quite fast, but um, yeah. Oh, I've got overexcited about that. We finally have a date. What do you think? Two thousand and five. What happened? I can't remember what happened in two thousand and five. In fact, I just left school then. <laughs> Around then. Why am I at college? I feel old. It makes you feel old. Shut up. <laughs> 2005. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm quite a bit older than you. So. We pan up and see it's Dr. Fraser Crane. He drops down as his assistant comes in to inform him the meeting has begun. But to Dr. Crane, cut to con- Doc. Cut to Dr. Crane running down the stairs to a long room, casually addressing the president, sitting right next to him on his left. We assume President of the United States. I think it is. Yeah. At this point, we don't know for sure, but I assume that's mm. what he means. The camera spins around the table wildly, revealing generals and men in suits, mostly old white men, except for one guy. So he's very deliberately cast as a black man. Who's a guy from Predator who cuts himself shaving? You've seen Predator, yeah. right? Yeah. I thought that's a weird place to put. It. I thought. I thought, I thought he's a fine actor. He can he's get any role he, he wants. This is make. I don't know why this is like. I thought okay. Well, considering the character he's playing, we'll get to that at some point in the future. He reveals that they have captured Mystique. President reveals she has been intimidating. Secretary okay. Trask oh. here. <laughs> And he points at Bill Duke, who's playing Secretary Trask. And he points at the one black guy in the room, should I say. I want, again, put a pin in that for the future. I'm going to keep saying that until it's recorded in your brains forever. Because it's going to be important in the future. Cut to the holding room. Uh, holding Raven. Apparently it's a live feed. Because they're watching as things happen live. She says, I don't answer to my slave name. Which feels like a heavily handed use of that cultural historical context. Uh, but I understand what they were going yeah. for. Because obviously, it's slightly different from slavery. Uh, again, again, it's dealing with minorities. and But maybe its use in this film, in this context, can be a bit, feel a bit inappropriate. Yeah. I don't know. For me, I don't know if it worked. I, mean, I didn't mind it. Again, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm like... not one to really comment as much as anybody mm. else, but obviously she's being addressed as mm. human and she feels yeah. she's different and somebody who isn't a mutant should be addressing her the way she wants to be addressed. Really? And again, it's very... Uh, um, it, using it incorrectly could be could be wrong, yeah. like uncomfortable. Um, um, she says her family tried to kill her and calls her interrogator a pathetic meat sack. And that just sounds like a really bad line, but, you know, it doesn't feel like it feels out of character. Um, she turns into Eric. She turns, then changes into her interrogator and headbutts him, kicking her chair into another man and backing the first agent uh, against the wall, calling him Homo sapien. I love that word. With a snarl. Not the last time you're going to hear that as well. We see a meeting room with a president and Fraser's reaction. 
president shows Fraser that Mystique was stealing from the FDA when she was caught. We see a file. On the left, a photo of a bald child, subject AM1121, Jimmy, a.k.a. Leech, Mutant Gene Suppression. The right page has a weirdly formatted page of info, with the first paragraph formatted into a tidy column on the left. If you could see who uh, the the next page, it would likely be unreadable gibberish because it's like <laughs> one column here, right next to it, another small column, right next to that another small column. So it reads. Uh, I, I'm miming reading it, <laughs> but like the text goes a third of the way across and goes down by one line, a third of the way across, and then once it gets down to like the eighth or ninth line, it jumps up to the middle column. And continues. It's very strange, especially for an official document from the government. It won't surprise me though. But you know, <laughs> hey, <laughs> I deal with official documents. <laughs> My documents are better than these documents. Um, Fraser is shocked and asks about its viability. They need his diplomacy, he's told. Um, meanwhile, back at the mansion, Charles is giving a lesson on power and mutant ethics. Okay. A girl is writing out her work with her hand. What's her power exactly? I don't understand because she's. I'm like, okay, she's like. Is, is it making pen appear out of thin air? Uh, good power. <laughs> How did you know you were a mutant? Oh, one day I accidentally smudged ink out of nowhere on my workbook. I didn't need a pen to write. I, one can't, day. <laughs> I need your help to control this terrible mutant power of mine. <laughs> it's like. Your mutant power is never needing a pen again. <laughs> um, and like it's done in like, handwriting because so, you see differences. So it's not like weird. She's not a computer printer or something. Um, Kitty jumps in saying quotes from Einstein. Ethics are an exclusive human concern without any superhuman authority behind it. Yeah, Professor X talks about not Einstein being a mutant. He wasn't a mutant as far as we know. <laughs> and everybody guffaws over that. I was like, how do you know he wasn't? Uh, and Charles uses the kid from the second film who was blinking to watch television to turn on the video <laughs> recorder. He's like, my child. <laughs> yeah, he, he gets a, a, a case study by Dr. Moira McTaggart. She's not named, but it's Dr. Moira McTaggart. What was she named? Does he mention her name? I don't know. I, don't I can't remember. So um, the kid from the second film blinks and turns on TV, but he seems to have aged like eight years since we last saw him because he's like 20 or something at this point. So it's been like three years and like 100 years. We see the doctor talking about a man behind her, born with no higher level brain functions. He has no consciousness. Charles talks to transferring the consciousness of one person into another. Mid-lesson, Charles stops. We see dark clouds rolling in, and after a moment, he dismisses a class. So for some some reason, this this scene is really clunky. It seems to be out of nowhere for some reason. I know what they're trying to set up later, but it doesn't really organically fit right no, just... in there. Secondly, it's it, it it posits the idea that Charles, the owner and head of this school, will stop a lesson at school if clouds roll in. <laughs> He's not done a forecast. I like everybody else was just like, what's going on with it him? Almost, it's almost like they thought they put in just to get more screen time. Maybe. 
I mean, there, again, there are key things going on here because there's something that happens oh. at the extreme end this is relating to, and the ethics thing is kind of there. But, I mean, uh, on the balcony, we see Storm, implying she's making the clouds. Um, he rolls up and says, I don't have to be a psychic to see something is bothering you. Um, I don't know how he knows it. Aside from the fact she has the power to affect storms, right? If she didn't have those powers, she'd just be somebody standing on a balcony yeah. behind. <laughs> so he's not using his powers. He doesn't. He's not equating for her powers. He's just okay. They, she makes the clouds go away and they go downstairs. Inside, a boy is making some paper airplanes fly along as he walks. Storm chats to Charles and asks him why, with everything is so good, why are they hiding? Charles says he thought he might take over. She might take over from him someday. Which, as we will see, is handy because Jean is dead, Wolverine's just passing through, and Scott's run off. So there are no other teachers anyway. Is that you're the last? You're the, <laughs> you're the only one left. <laughs> Cut to Fraser using his glasses to eye up one of Charles' paintings. Wolverine walks up and he's a dick to Fraser for some reason. <laughs> oh, you look like a fucking bear. <laughs> is essentially his attitude towards him. Uh, Fraser mentions that there's a work on a way to suppress the X gene and, you know, quote, cure mutancy, which to which Storm is affronted. Logan says nothing, and they cut to Alcatraz as the announcement is being made. Um, Alcatraz. Alcatraz Island is located in San Francisco Bay, 1.25 miles. 2.1 kilometers offshore from San Francisco, California, United States. Now a tourist attraction. <laughs> Many an ex-convict is rehabilitated, but what do you do with a jail that served its time? Alcatraz, the rock on which the records of many of America's worst criminals have founded. Alcatraz, for 30 years the most feared and forbidding of United States federal penitentiaries. Alcatraz, in San Francisco Bay, the island prison with a dramatic past but a cloudy future. Scarface Al Capone, George Machine Gun Kelly, Robert the Birdman Stroud, they and a thousand others took this short boat ride to the island. For most of them, the last taste of freedom for a decade or more. For some, the last taste forever. <laughs> the small island was developed for, with facilities for a lighthouse military fortification, a military prison, and a federal prison from 1934 until 21st of March 1963. The water currents around the island were high at, at all times, which presumably increased the chance of an inmate escaping, uh, decreased, sorry. Uh, beginning from November 1969, the island was occupied for more than 19 months by a group of Native Americans from San Francisco who were part of a wave of Native American activists organising public protests across the United States through the 1970s. In 1972, Alcatraz became part of the Golden Gate National Recreation Area and received designation as a National Historic Landmark in 1986. Today, the island's facilities are managed by National Park Service as part of the Golden Gate National Recreation Area. It is open to tours. Visitors can reach the island in a little under 15 minutes by ferry ride from Pier 33, located between... Um, sounds like I'm doing a, a read for an advert. Come to San Francisco. Oh. 
Taurus can read the ferry ride from Pier 33, <laughs> located between San Francisco Ferry Building and Fisherman's Wharf, San Francisco. Uh, Hornblower Cruises and <laughs> Events, uh, operating under the name Alcatraz Cruises, is the official ferry provider to and from the island. Alcatraz Island is home to the abandoned prison, uh, the site of the oldest operating lighthouse on the west coast of the United States, early military fortifications, and natural features such as rock pools, a seabird, col- a seabird colony, mostly western gulls, cormorants, and egrets. Uh, according to the 1971 documentary on the history of Alcatraz, the island measures 1,675 feet, uh, 511 metres, uh, by 590 feet, 180 metres, and is 135 feet, uh, 41 metres, at its highest point during mean tide. The total area of the island is reported to be 22 acres. The <laughs> landmarks on the island include... A main cell house, a dining hall, lighthouse, ruins of the warden's house, social hall, parade grounds, building 64, water tower, new industries building, model industries building, and the recreation yard. Alcatraz. Alcatraz. Also, it used to have that bird man, didn't it? The man who kept birds. Did it? Bird man of Alcatraz, yeah. Fair <laughs> <laughs> go home, when, you, when you finish here, go home and research the bird. Bird man of Alcatraz. Get back to me on that. A man says, so-called mutants are people just like us. Which I'm not sure how to feel about as a line. He says their affliction is nothing more than a disease. Standing outside Worthington Lab's facility on the island. The president is shown watching as the man on Fox News 5, first time we've seen a real news station, identified as Warren Worthington II, shows the cure. We see Rogue watching. And Storm is asking who wouldn't, uh, who would want such a cure afterwards. I found that, you know what, I found that part of Storm a bit, bit like... I understand her position mm-hmm. and why she's talking about it, because she does, again... It goes into the argument of if this is about homosexuality yes. and you know trying to cure gay mm. people, it's the equivalent of that essentially in in the metaphor. Wow. Um, <clears throat> but the only problem is we've established that as we see Rogue walk in in a minute, Rogue is a character where she isn't someone who who is doing nothing wrong and benefiting from yeah. having abilities she's someone who is afflicted with something that does m- make her life almost impossible to interact with other people yeah because she can't touch anyone she can't have their like <laughs> that people take for granted and and the fact that other characters I was going to talk about this anyway yeah. but the fact other characters are unwilling to engage with that conversation mm-hmm. involving that character um, is understandable from uh, what we want to say via the mm. metaphor, but it does bring the universes of the film, the universe of the film, mm. into question mm. because this person is really going to have difficulty for the rest yes, of their I mean. lives. I mean, what if she wanted to have kids? She couldn't really. Huh? Like, not only could she not have children, as in have sex with someone to become pregnant 
she may even use her abilities while a baby's growing in her and make it impossible for her to have children. Um, so Rogue walks in and asks if it's true. And Charles says, yes. To which Storm corrects him, forgetting to take into account Rogue's uncontrollable ability to kill people she touches. Uh, this is where we were going to have this discussion, but we've just had this discussion. <laughs> Jump the gun, sorry guys. Um, but it is true. Like, If any mutant other one than Rogue was in there, the, the arguments could be like they just want to be normal quote unquote I guess you could make the argument for Beast as well like because he's Beast not... is and it ultimately it's key for him when it comes to this because he has chased that in the comics yeah. as well um, but there's a difference between everybody every other mutant's normal yeah. and Rogue's normal oh. we've seen how absolutely disruptive Rogue's is existence is to Rogue and that's very different uh, so it's almost like Rogue could be a metaphor for something yeah. else yeah um, so it's interesting if Rogue had never been in the films it's a it's the a different, positions yeah. would be very different in the arguments um, so you, like they're going for one thing and it's the, the argument and the presentation is flawed because of Rogue's existence which is maybe why they essentially cut her out of everything from here on <laughs> um, we'll get to that as well cut to a church though um, the Holy Trinity Church Narratively, it's not the same church as the first, the one shown in the second film, but it's literally the same church that was seen in the second film, dressed differently. Um, yeah, there's sides outside, and they say meeting at seven p.m. and Thursday, so we know it's seven p.m. Thursday, so it's a Thursday in November, most probably, uh, and no humans allowed. A discussion takes place about the cure, and we see Toad look like crawling on the wall. It's not Toad. I think he's got a name, but I, I didn't check it. Uh, Magneto's voice interrupts, booming across from the back of the room. He's hanging out with Pyro, which is weird. Um, he asks who they will stand with, the humans or us. He gives a great speech. I'm not, again, I, I, I know the characters say more things, but I'm not going to read the whole script to you. I'm just going to go through it. A group of mutants approach afterwards, and one saying, if you're so proud of being a mutant, where's your mark? Oh, yeah, so yeah. I assume they mean trashy tattoo, because the three of them have ugly tattoos. But like, that's not something that makes sense because obviously not everyone in that scene had tattoos. So it's like, you just, yeah. unless you got a tattoo, like, you know, you, you, <laughs> you have to. And the tattoo is like the Omega sort yeah. of logo or, or symbol, you know. Greek. So unless you got a tattoo, you're not a mutant. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, which is just there for him to say the next line. Um, again, I'm not sure about the logic of this, but he, he rolls up his sleeve and he just says, he shows his Auschwitz camp tattoo and, and they shut the fuck up. He, he says... Um, no blade will ever touch my skin again. Like no needle will <laughs> ever no touch needle. my skin again. And that's a far more powerful thing to say. at all because he can sense he's got powers. So why do you need a tattoo? Well, again, it's the pride of being a mutant. Okay. It's a mutant. You can only be a proud mutant if you've got a really ugly tattoo. Oh. Um... Although technically the the tattoos are fine, it's just yeah. um, I don't want to insult tattoo artists. <laughs> uh, cut to a moving convoy. It's a lorry containing Mystique, who is taunting her captors by changing into the president and then a small girl. Um, at the original cut scene, a cut scene, not cut scene as in video game. 
um, uh, the guard turns around and tells the Mr. President, with all due respect, shut the fuck up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and there they they was an argument on the commentary for that cut scene. Why? That, um, that they should have put it in. Um, but obviously they did, didn't because of censorship or guess, like, yeah. censors control over it. They didn't want to have to cut it back out again. Yeah. Um, they, they, I think you can use the F word once in certain... Which is crazy to me. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's fine. He just tells him to shut up. Uh, it's it's interesting because when she's a little girl, why don't she just easily escape her restraints? If she can shrink herself, oh. which is not an ability I knew she had. I knew she could change it to other people of a similar size and shape. But she just pull your arms out. Oh. Yeah. So maybe her restraints shrink with her hands or something, but they don't look like complicated restraints. Um, cut to Frasier, landing at the lab and meeting a woman, Dr. Rao. Uh, she takes him to meet a mutant boy. Jimmy seems to be playing on an Xbox 360 game from the controller. Was it, was it playing? So I looked into it anyway, and in the credits. And this game is apparently Call of Duty 2. Oh. On the Xbox 360, initial release date, 25th of October 2005. I, I remember, that's, you see, that's when I got my... Yeah, I remember now. 2005, <laughs> there we go, that's it. I was in college, yeah. And I got my Xbox from Woolworths. It might not be Woolworths, it's now, it's dead, but it's still... <laughs> Oh, memories. <laughs> so did you end up picking up uh, Call of Duty 2? Any yes. opinions on it? I played I played Call of Duty 2 for two seconds and I hated it for some reason. Oh. I thought, oh. Never gone back to it? No. Well, this kid loves it. He loves it. <laughs> um, so again, this leans towards October, November 2005 for our Yeah. Because it, it came out October 2005. It must be the same. This kid is more likely to have a, a newer game. It's a brand new lab, isn't yeah. it? It's all high quality. Um, Fraser goes to shake hand with this kid naturally, yeah. instinctively, and is startled as his hand turns Caucasian, yeah. which doesn't make sense. <laughs> Beast's mutation was oversized hands and feet. His blueness in the comics came from experimenting on himself to try and cure himself of his mutation. Even if blue is an extreme mutation, his nails, which are long spiky claws, shouldn't shrink into those of a well-groomed white man. <laughs> they should be all pointy still, just white and not blue, I suppose. And if his hand and nails are shrinking to normal size, shouldn't this be exceedingly painful? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You see him just reach out and just go, ah, oh, fuck! Uh, <laughs> shrink, shrink, shrink. Yeah. And he's just like, it's okay, kid, it's okay. And then it'll explain why the kid who turns around and he sees it happening just goes, I'm so sorry. You know, he's like, no, it's fine, it's fine. Um, back on the road after they leave, um, Scott silently rides his bike, his bike, not Wolverine's. And not at a really high frame rate, God. <laughs> to the lake where Jean died. Died. Her voice on the wind calling him. He approaches the lakeside and his mind is hit with a cacophony of her voice calling him. Suddenly he screams to the sky and blasts his eyes into the lake. His eye blasts, you know. 
Suddenly, water erupts and he's knocked back off his feet, which looks like it really hurt. <laughs> you didn't expect him to be coughing blood. He hits the rock so hard. Um, he sits up as a light illuminates his face. A figure steps out, although you don't really see that happen. It would have been nice to see like her slow land on on the steps and as the camera pans, but it was far less imaginative than that. It's just the camera turns around and she's okay. there. Uh, it's Jean. Who saw that coming? I didn't see that coming. I did see it coming. Yeah, it. she's on the front of the Blu-ray, <laughs> but if, and the the adverts for the film. But if you hadn't seen it, um, with longer hair for some reason, um, if it was a reincarnation, maybe I don't know. Her hair has grown, and it's been a while. Doesn't really explain, does it? Work? It doesn't really explain how she. It does explain how she survived. Does it? Yes. We'll get to that. Let me start. Yes, you you must have, because you don't know. Um, he embraces her. She makes him remove his glasses. And she suppresses his powers so that she can look into his eyes as they kiss. The camera pans round and Scott's skin seems to start boiling underneath oh, yeah. the surface. Um, it's a weird-looking visual effect, but I think she's literally just making him boil from the inside out. Um at the school, everyone hears a sound on the air, and Logan and Storm rush into action. The professor tells them, get to Alkali Lake. We see them arrive moments later. The lake turned to vapour. Rocks and water droplets are floating around freely. Storm eventually clears the mist, and they find Scott's glasses floating freely. Yeah. The <laughs> then they find Jean, knocked out but alive. Back at the mansion, they leave Jean under observation. As the press professor explains, quote, Jean is the only Class 5 mutant I had ever encountered. We'll put that in, a pin in that for later, too. Um, professor repressed Jean's powers, apparently, and this created a split personality. Um, the professor and Logan get into an argument about the professor's actions and the morality of them. Which goes back to that, uh, you know, mutant mm. powers and morality thing from earlier. Cut to a news reporter in front of a protest. She's from Action News, KVYT. A line of assumed mutants wait for a cure. We see Worthington, the second, looking out from his building as they do. Warren comes in as the first subject. Warren the third, may I say. And they strap him down for some reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and prepare the injection he struggles out of his restraints uh, last minute and breaks free and he he rushes and smashes through the window swoops over the crowd and flies towards the prison as Jimmy watches oh, yeah. from his little window there's a lot of Jimmy watching from his little window <laughs> is there? there's quite a few things he's looking through yeah. uh, what do you think so far we, we, we've had Gene come back yeah. Scott's vanished I find the I find the argument quite interesting between Logan and Professor X, though. Yes, we will discuss That's that argument uh, like nearer to the yeah. end. But they they finally these films have a, a moment to actually quietly discuss yeah. moral sort of questions mm -hmm. between people in a way that isn't that's lead to violence yeah. and stuff. Um, and it's interesting, although 
of all people for Wolverine to be on high horse about <laughs> that's anything. That, that's the worst, that's the part makes it so weird. Like he's just like. I think it's more that the, the professor has been so not angelic, but yeah. righteous yeah. this whole time that for him to be the one of them to do something like this is interesting. Like the professor, for because I didn't cover it here, the professor is using his powers to create barriers in Jean's head to repress parts of her mind that would cause terrible things to happen. And we'll get to consequences of that later. Is that inherently bad, though? I don't know. Um, You could call it bad in the sense that she may may not have had a choice about the matter. Maybe, but... Um, If it saves life, though, is it like... (laughs) But he says, says that his doing it created the phoenix. But if there wasn't a phoenix before, why do it? That's the... <laughs> so there must have been some element mm. of too much power before. So it's, it's weird. Yeah. Um, and this is the scene where we find out how she survived. He says her powers instinctively cocooned her in a sort oh. of uh, psycho bubble. Oh. And that's where she's been this whole time, under the water. And that's why she comes out. She's all dry, but her hair's grown longer. And she was in sort of a suspended animation situation. It's his. He posits that's why. I don't know if that's exactly what's supposed to have happened. But cut to the convoy. What feels like, like maybe three days later. Because <laughs> it's weird. We see that convoy way earlier in the yeah, film, and then there's a chunk of time. And loads of stuff happens, and you've forgotten completely that it exists. And then you remember. It now. Um, ahead is Magneto. He crushes the first escort car in line as a can and tosses it to one side. Then the second. Then the two to the rear. He t- flips to one side. He then detaches the lorry from its trailer and flings it over his head. Mystique, meanwhile, takes advantage and snaps her guard's neck with her feet before using her feet to grab the keys and set herself free. Which is, I don't know, she had quite that flexible. <laughs> Posable thumbs, essentially, on her feet. Magneto opens the trailer with his new gang, and she greets him. They then walk along the trailer and read out the names of prisoners as they free them. Cell 41205, James Mandrox. The multiple man explains you Mystique. You have some banks at once. <laughs> how, she, how she knows, I don't know. Because <laughs> you don't see her reading the, the paperwork, she's like, Oh, it says here. Oh, because she's been in prison. She's not. I don't know. Um, cell eight eight three nine three, Kane Marco, solitary confinement, which is the same confinement as the last prisoner. Although obviously he wasn't solitary because he's the multiple man. <laughs> Jokes. Um, anyway, Vinnie Jones as the Juggernaut or Juggernaut. Why does he take his helmet off? <laughs> He's not locked up there. Like, why don't you take? <laughs> yeah, why? Why? Uh... <laughs> For some reason, allowed to keep his helmet on. Yeah. Also, side note: not a mutant. He's not actually a mutant. He's not a mutant. In the comic books, Kane Marco is both Professor X's half brother, and he uh, has his abilities from a magical stone. Oh. I actually remember this. Actually, I do remember that. Yeah. The surviving guard shoots at Magneto, and Magne- uh, Mystique steps in the line of fire. She drops to the floor, losing her powers. 
and being left entirely nude. Um, interesting choice, filmmakers. We'll get to that because we were watching downstairs earlier and we were watching with the, the director's keyword commentary on and they were talking about how they didn't mind her being naked on the floor. We'll get to that later. Best not to comment on it now. Believe me. <laughs> Trust me on this one. I, I don't know why he didn't just give her his cloak or something. I mean, he, he he's disgusted by humans, apparently. But um, Magneto turns around and leaves her. She's one of them now. It's quite a good scene, though. Yeah, it's Actually, well played, a piece of acting. It shows that you like... Because obviously... Mystique's like second hand, yeah, and he's, he's abandoned. He just, now. Yeah. He's just like, oh, you're human, like. It, again, though, one of could have just left a coat on. Of course, him, yeah, yeah. But it's just he's that... no, not so evil that he wouldn't do that because he has comments about yeah. Charles Xavier yeah. later, or earlier. I can't remember where he defends Charles's very existence. Yeah, um, yeah it's later. Uh, he leaves her, even though she has saved him, nude and alone. Back in the Oval Office, Fraser is handed his, in his notice. Complaining policy is being made without him. They have spiral, uh, spirited discussion and Fraser leaves. We'll talk about this discussion later as well. Back at the mansion, Logan is watching over Jean, touching her face in a scene that is meant to ape how they met in the first film. It's literally played, um, you know, point for point. Except when she was examining his hands, then he grabbed her. He's cre- busy creepily touching her face. Which, you know, context. He's just staring there, touching her yeah. face while she's asleep. Um, as she slowly removes the jelly earphones, which is what they are, attached to her upper body, he takes the chance to stare at her breasts. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> so, good old Wolverine's back. Uh, she's in her underwear, uh, which means they stripped her down to her pants when they brought her back. Uh, at least the professor was with her when he had her under a blanket. And now Logan is alone with her. It's mysteriously vanished. Nice. Uh, she sits up and comes on to him, all lusty-like, and immediately climbs on as they make out passionately. And he car- uh, and she carves into his shoulders with her nails. Suddenly he stops, which is a shock for Wolverine as she telekinetically pulls off his belt, saying no, because she wants him to keep going. Not no, stop. It's hard not having the scene on to to provide (laughs) the context for that, but she wants him to keep going. He says the professor said she might be different. He asks where Scott is, and she snaps into a different personality. She remembers and switches to Jean. As Phoenix uh, and Phoenix, as the room trembles, water boils, Scott's glasses disintegrate, and she flings Logan against a wall and leaves. In the Magneto cave, he examines the gun he collected before they head off to build an army. His fast friend from earlier t- uh, talks of picking up a powerful mutant. Uh, and he goes, w- Where is she? <laughs> Because um, he knows who she is, really. Professor rolls into the room with Wolverine on the floor and Storm, finding the rem- remnants of Jean's actions. He blames Logan for some reason, which makes no sense. <laughs> he's like, what have you done, Logan? Uh, he's like, I told you this would happen. I'm like, 
what did he do? He didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't even there. Also, just telepathic. You could tell that he didn't do technically do anything wrong. He he was there when she woke up, and that's it. What if anything? It's the professor's fault that she still got this terrible ability because he didn't do his job <laughs> <Not> properly. <sighs> it's doing it again. The film's doing it again. It's making my head hurt. <laughs> They're working together. That is how teamwork <laughs> works. It's not teamwork. Anyway. Um, Magneto wastefully uses his powers to turn a door handle and they roll in as everybody arrives at Jean's house. Okay. <laughs> Why don't you use your hand? I know you've got magnet powers, but you're not so above yourself to use a door handle. Um, Jean loses it and tosses both men backwards in the middle of conversation. Lo- Logan decides to head in but Juggernaut immediately rush, uh, runs into him with his head before grabbing him and tossing him into the house anyway. <laughs> I was like, okay. Well done. Well done. Well done, well done there. Um, in an extended version of the scene, Wolverine um, stabs Juggernaut through the arm and he just completely no-sells it. Oh. He's just like... Um, and then the fight goes on a bit longer. Storm easily takes out the second two guards, but the apparent, because apparently they have no powers... And knocks out a third into the house. They has fight. Juggernaut also comes in and has fight with Logan. Giving us four more people in the house than the maximum no one that Magneto wanted. Well done, Jugger. Meanwhile, Jean is vibrating Charles' face and making the sink flow up. She then lifts Charles out of his chair and as Logan watches, disintegrates him. Magneto quietly leads her away as Logan and the one remaining X-Man, Storm, cry. Discuss. It's weird that they say, though, because it's... Yes, so this is... about the future, like, it's just... Yeah, you don't... At this point, we don't know about the future films or what's going to happen at the end of the film. Yeah. Um, So, uh, by this point, they've just disintegrated Charlie Xavier and... Apparently, Scott, although we didn't see it happen. So they killed off two yeah. heavyweight hit X-Men, really, in his film. Not that it, Scott ever got his moment to shine. In of the course, yeah, but, but in the comics and the in the cartoon, he's got a bigger he's got a bigger role. Of course, he's the leader. He's the leader of X-Men, like yeah. So he's killed off two. Mm. And Magneto was upset for a second. He's like, come, come with me. He, he's almost quietly yeah. As a, he he still cares about yeah. mutants, right? So he cares about her. He cares about Charles being hurt as a consequence of everything that's happened. But he's he's also still working for his own goals. Oh, yeah. So he's going to take her to use her as a tool, yeah. even if he doesn't make it obvious. Yeah. It's a good little set piece, I suppose. Yeah, you yeah. see the house being lifted yeah. up and 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 it all going crazy and things flying around. Some of it's practical, some of it's digital, and. Unlike the de-aging stuff from earlier, it doesn't look as bad as that. Um, and I think, as an example of her having powers, it's probably the best scene yeah, in the it, film. It shows that she's even because Charles is a powerful. You think she's, he, he chooses not to use his okay. abilities, obviously. But he did choose. I think he still probably won't be able to keep up with her. Like no, yeah, obviously. I like how he just turns around and gives all I mean, a little smile, like it's okay, Wolverine. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you see me again, don't worry. Don't worry, I'm going to violate my own morals a second time in this film. Anyway, 
um, at the X-Mansion. They hold a funeral for Charles. Bobby holds both Rogue and then Kitty's hands. After the funeral, Bobby visits Kitty in her room. He takes her outside and freezes the fountain so she can go skating. He has ice skates. Yes. <laughs> uh, they laugh and have fun, and Kitty thanks him as they head indoors as Rogue watches in a way that implies jealousy. I mean, I can understand what she's coming for, is it? Like... Yes, but people have female or male friends and aren't sexual. Oh. You know, and Bobby seems to be wholesome and click. like there's a moment where it implies he could have feelings towards her, but ultimately, at the end of the day, he's still being moral and noble. But I guess it. I guess it comes from the part that she can't do that. For, I guess. Yeah, there's an like... element of that. So, but there's a reason it feels kind of disjointed and yeah. odd still as well, and her behaviour seems kind of off, off yeah. because there's a cut scene that I tried desperately to find so I could put it on this episode. Where that scene ends with the two of them kissing. I think I've seen that before. You know, that's what I, you know. I think I, cause I, that was on because I used to have the mm. special edition. Like, yeah, yeah. And I think I've seen that. Yeah, because that makes it, that would make more sense. Yeah, the, the entire context of everything from that point forward, when it comes to Rogue Bobby and Kitty, is completely different. Like in this version, he's a good guy. In that version, he's just cheating on his girlfriend. Yeah, but I feel like they should have kept that in there because it would make Rogue's actions seem a bit more uh, yeah, like... Yeah, but then maybe they wouldn't have kept the Rogue's actions in there yeah, as yeah. well. Who knows how it would have changed everything. Um, in this way, he comes across as okay. Yeah. And while some of what she's doing is appropriate, it's like she still feels a bit in as how close mm. after that event happens that she decides to leave, which we'll get to. It seems a bit erratic, um, but she's obviously emotional high at this point because she doesn't want to live like this anymore. Yeah. Rogue is seen leaving with her bags by Logan, and she explains she wants to touch people. As she leaves, he corrects. Uh, she corrects him when he calls her Rogue. She says Marie, yeah. which is in contrast to the mystique scene yeah. where she says that's my slave name yeah. she's choosing a human name not a mutant yeah, yeah. identity now um, so there's two ends and obviously she's in the comic she's her daughter yeah. so there's lots of parallels going on there uh, there were alternate cuts we've just talked about um, which is interesting again if I can find that before the uh, final edit of the episodes I will put that in here somewhere but as it stands right now I can't find it um, in the woods, Magneto has set up some sort of festival and bought Jean a coat. Because she didn't have that coat before. Um, he approaches Jean, discusses her being the next step, uh, attempting to whisper into her ear and manipulate her. She takes the gun he found with the cure in it, or the cure gun, and with her mind terrifies him by dismantling it and floating the needles above his face. As uh, Magneto walks through the camp, they are all worried about Jean being too much. And Pyro talks about killing Charles, as Eric chastised him, showing how he cared for and respected his old friend. Um, Charles Xavier did more for the mutant cause than you will ever know. At the school, the remaining group, Frasier, Storm, Logan, Bobby and Kitty, discuss what happens next and the closing of the school. Until Warren Worthington the third walks in 
and Storm decides to keep the school going. She's like, Oh, we've got a new student who's about as old as me, so let's keep the school going. And they give him a room. Bobby goes into Rogue's room, finding it empty, and he sees Colossus in the hall, randomly carrying a massive television, <laughs> as he explains she took off. Like what? This, he's strong, you know. Like, yeah, this is how so. strong he is. He's got a really big telly. Um, fine. I wonder what he was doing with that. Outside, Logan visits Charles's grave, and suddenly he hears Jean saying his name into his head over and over again. Logan. Finally, you're doing it right. Keep Logan. I'm over it. Ah, what's going on? <laughs> Causing him to fall to his knees. It's like, oh, get out of here. Go on, find Jean. <laughs> on the street, Bobby in among uh, is in among the protesters as mutants across the road wait for their cures. Bobby's there looking for Rogue, but he's in with the protesters. <laughs> what does he think Rogue's going to do? Be so confused by everything, she goes to the protest group instead of getting the cure like she wants. <laughs> Why not go to the line where they're waiting for their cure? I love how powers is there as well. <laughs> yeah, it just, <laughs> it just like... happens to turn up. Um, um, uh, this feels oddly topical, by the way, right now. I'll Although think it, yeah, think we obviously have not seen protests like this outside vaccine clinics, but the 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 people who are around being anti-vax and stuff at the same time as watching this is really odd. Um, yeah, how did you feel? Oh, about this? I was like, oh, it's very. Like, I could see that happening as well. In, like in America, I was like, yeah, I really don't want a vaccine. We deserve our freedoms. It's like <laughs> he finds Pyro, like we said, who calls Rogue pathetic. Like of all of the the terrible things he could have called her, Bobby walks away, and then Pyro lights up the vaccine center. Um, cut to fix new or uh, fix Fox, Fox. News. <laughs> fix fix news typos. Cut to Fox News five as Magneto holds an address to the people of the world. I thought he was in the woods. He's, he's all over the place, Magneto, right? This is a how pre-recorded... Is he, how is he transmitting? I don't understand. <laughs> Several people are seen watching. The president tells Trask to deploy, de- deploy? deploy cure weapons. Cut to army barracks and the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket yelling at troops as they prepare. Hand no, really. Your... It's the exact same actor. It's a, a hand your weapons. Get your plastic weapons. Like Absolutely a... no metal. <laughs> Which is meant to be a joke, I think, because it's full metal jacket. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bet you didn't think about that before. It says it's two thirty on the clock on the wall, so either it's the afternoon or the very early morning. Cut to Rogue leaving a bus and then standing in line to get a cure, I assume. Um, next to the woods, at Magneto Fest twenty or two thousand five, I suppose. Uh, well, uh, Logan is sniffing the air. He's randomly attacked with bone spears. He gets into a fight with several mutants, slicing down uh, two down the spine, a third across the face, and a fourth in the chest. Magneto Fest is ruined. Who more with uh, as he runs? That was like he's got no blood on his blazer at all. His blazer are perfectly clean as yeah, well. well. It's very quick cuts. <laughs> very... Uh, he loves uh, woodland murder. Uh, bone spear guy attacks having recovered from his bone spear leg injury. 
He's, atta- he's killed quickly too. Everyone in the camp didn't notice the murder killing and are still having a good time. So now he sneaks in. So he's gone on a murderous rampage and then decided to go undercover after that. Like, he must really care about mutant causes because he's killed several of them in the last few minutes. Magneto holds a rallying cry while Wolverine watches, referring to Jean indirectly as their weapon. Oh, yeah. And a cure for Homo sapiens. Oh, yes. <laughs> Logan slips to one side and approaches Jean, but is pinned to a tree by Eric. I guess smell you had film from Marlowe. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> he's got a super smile now as well. <laughs> uh, Wolverine says he didn't come to fight, but the string of dead bodies could have said different. <laughs> uh, they discuss Jean's being there before Logan is flung against the tree. Cut to the White House, where President Trask and others watch on as they raid Magneto's camp. Mystique told them everything. Although, how she knew where the camp was, see, I, I was don't th- know. I was thinking that, she never went there, did she? Obviously, she never went there, and obviously left her in a trailer, so... Uh, and he says, hell no, hell has no vengeance, like I a woman's scorn. Well. <laughs> yeah, cool. um, Woods again, troops arrive, but they've been hoodwinked. It's the multiple yeah. man. He didn't do much, did he? No, he just smiled. But that's his whole role in yeah. the film, to make it look like there's a lot more people. He could have, I mean, hopefully the one of him that was the main one wasn't in the woods. And it was just all the, but, uh, imagine that plan meeting. <laughs> what do we want you to do? Is get captured again. Is stand there and make it look like there's lots of you. And we're just going to fuck off somewhere else. <laughs> but uh, I, you want me to be arrested again immediately after you've set me free? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the gist of it, yes. You did it for the cause. The Magneto gang approach Alcatraz. Wolverine returns to the mansion and gathers some help uh, a la the end of classic Generation X. Um, it's the same sort of gathering the troops or t- scene that we saw in that terrible movie. Warren III watches on quietly. He doesn't do anything or say anything. He's just kind of like... There's a meeting on here. I might have to get involved at some point. <laughs> um, downstairs, on the front cover of the... This side note. On the front cover of the DVD and Blu-ray... He's in a, like an X-Men uniform. He's never, ever a part of the team. Not at any point. All you see him is in jeans. He's just a guy with no shirt on, yeah. <laughs> and some wings. He's just another mutant. Downstairs, Logan uh, and Beast chat about the situation. Uh, what is, is Beast is putting on his uniform and it's like it doesn't fit anymore. Or, yeah. There's two cuts of that for some reason. And they're very different from each other. Because then they approach the teens and they talk about whether or not they're ready. And in one Wolverine's pro and one the other Wolverine's anti them joining part. Um, he must have been. He must have joined the X Men super fast and left super fast. Well, beast like <laughs> he was there at the founding. I think is the point. because oh. he is one of the original, oh. yeah, prime prime X Men. Uh, before all of the people, Logan gives the governmentally mandated pep talk. Plane, fly away, adventure. Bobby, Kitty and Colossus are in the back of the jet looking nervous. Did anybody forget Colossus is part of this film? Because he doesn't get really any lines aside no. from she... she All the TV and like... 
I um, find Wolverine. <laughs> this Colossus. Anyway, uh, meanwhile on the Golden Gate Bridge, question mark, because I wasn't sure, uh, in a car, two kids are playing a weirdly recognisable PS2 game. Is that great? Is that great? This game is Pitfall on PS2. Uh, initial release date, 18th of February, 2004. So, oh. it's before 2006, still. Um, obviously, this is like a, a weird version where they're playing on the back of car seats in little monitors, you know. Well, that was a cool thing to do, I guess. Well, yeah. now we're like, it's that scene, everyone's got tablets now, so yeah. it's kind of redundant. Well, yeah. Nothing like the real thing, though, no. controller. Tablet never going to be the same. Although you can use a controller with your phone and tablet yeah. now. So how has that gone for you? Have you used that much? No, not yet. No, I've used it a few times. It's not too bad. Um, anyway, <laughs> suddenly everyone loses control and the bridge shakes. Magneto and his mates walk along the bridge, moving cars to the sides before moving the entire bridge to Alcatraz. Magneto flexing here. I love this scene. When he's flexing. He's like, just I'm just going to take the bridge across. Why not? <laughs> Um, we'll talk more about your favourite scenes and stuff, obviously. We've made notes. We've got new sections to the show, ladies and gentlemen. He lands the bridge and looks back at the family we saw before. Mum quietly locks the door as he smirks at them. Um, that's, quite, that's quite a funny scene, though. She's like, I'm like, have you seen a man lift a bridge and move a bridge? You've got to lock your door. Like, Good luck. There's plastics involved. It might work. He's still only an old man, really. The mutant army dive into action, assaulting the lab. Mutants with a wide range of powers are seen. Juggernaut goes to move in, but Magneto stops him. He says, why the pawn go first? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's used, this is his grand chess analogy. <laughs> his great chess game plan is throw loads of mutants needlessly at guns. Pretty much, please. Um, as some men start firing, the mutants, uh, mutants Magneto goes to prevent them from attacking by using his powers. But com- and, and comments to the guards, the guns are plastic, saying... They have learned. Uh, but, like, no, they already knew. Uh, fr- firstly, you're the biggest threat, so of course they thought about metal. <laughs> Secondly, you were already in a prison with plastic guns and made of plastic. You, you know <laughs> that they know <laughs> to use plastic. It's not some new thing. Anyway, tons of mutants lose their powers... And we think permanently. And Magneto just watches. Until the weapons are turned against him. As hundreds of needles rain down, he uses the debris to shield everyone and asks formerly unnamed mutant Arclight to target the guns, which they do, easily shattering all of them. Why didn't Arclight just walk forward and shatter all the guns before the mutants went in? You'd have you'd go. have like hundreds more mutants. That's why the pawns go first. <laughs> it's the worst chess move in history. Imagine if you didn't send your pawns first, and then you had your one superpower mutant destroy all of your other team, the the other chess pieces of weapons, and then they were all just turned into pawns, and then even your pawns beat the shit out of them. <laughs> the Blackbird arrives, looking really CGI for some reason. It's like it feels really odd. Right. I don't know why. And the adult X-Men look down on the scene, with Fraser uttering classic beast phrase, Oh, my stars and garters. <laughs> they just had to throw it in there somewhere. Um, Storm then puts the plane into stealth mode, after when they would have been seen. I was thinking about that. 
And there was an X-Men that can send other, X- other powers in here, so... <sighs> we, th- we see the President and Trask unable to do anything. God help us, he overactedly says. I suppose all the American government, military, Worthington industry and Magneto are stupid because if it were me, I'd have multiple locations making the cure and keep the mutant boy on a moving location. Also, if they were already offering jabs to mutants, shouldn't it make it already too late? Because they've got plenty of cure already. How how many mutants lost their powers? (laughs) Magneto's (laughs) slow acting and the the United States government and, and Worthington Labs could easily have had multiple labs. Like, this one lab is not going to be the end of their plans. And just why didn't, why didn't they kid still? Surely they got the formula to make... Uh. <laughs> it just like, it doesn't all jibe when it comes to a timeline of events. If they're already curing people. Yeah, we have vaccines that can make it loads more anyway. Like, yeah. it's, just a, it's just a literally it's, a like, They're just kidding people for the sake of yeah. it now. Uh, anyway. And what's the threat if Magneto wins here? What, what he kills the kid? Then what? He's yeah, already lost, half they've, of, he's yeah, already lost they've, like hundreds of mutants that have got and power. They've, they've still got the cure. It doesn't make a difference. They're, just let him have it. Go, yeah, you want go ahead. I mean, loss of life is terrible, obviously. But uh, if you were like, the president of the United States, you're thinking about the bigger picture. <laughs> no problem for me. Anyway, back at the labs, the mutants charge. One coughs up fireball evaporating two soldiers before things kick off and Storm glides onto the scene and strikes the ground with lightning, killing, I assume, several of them. Beast leaps in. I love this leap. This is, it's, just, it's unnecessary, but it's just funny, like, seeing it. Like. <laughs> um, Kitty falls into the floor with Bobby and Colossus lands with a thud. Kitty and Bobby pop back out of the ground and Logan does something with his claws that doesn't seem to slow his fall at all. He just, just falls at the same speed oh, yeah. but scratches the walls as he goes. Wolverine rushes forward and starts ordering everyone around. Almost with the same sort of lines that like Cyclops would have used. Like he he's just Cyclops now. For some it's not his character whatsoever. And he's being Cyclops. Because he's the most famous and popular character and actor in the film, that's why, but still. Magneto signals for the charge. Finish them. <laughs> They've not even begun yet. <laughs> uh, fight's all over. Wolverine murdering anybody who moves. Magneto finally sends on Juggernaut to find and kill Jimmy. Uh, but Kitty makes the dash through the wall to save him. Outside, Wolverine slices a man's arm off repeatedly, eventually kicking him in the balls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> saying, <laughs> Grow that back. Yeah, nice. Good. Good. Um, inside, Kitty leaps Juggernaut, phasing him into the floor and trapping him, causing him to quote one of the original memes. Don't you know who I am? I'm the Juggernaut, bitch! Juggernaut, bitch. <laughs> um, they kick out I'm like, okay. Yeah. Well, she's still smaller and lighter. And she can run through things, like, literally. Like, he's still slowed yeah. a little bit by, by breaking stuff. Um, that's actually, like, one of the early memes. It comes from 
uploaded versions of one of the older X-Men cartoons where just some guys did voiceovers. Yeah. And when Juggernaut was on the screen, he would say, I'm Juggernaut, bitch. Yeah. For people who don't know. Uh, most people just know it from this film, though. So it feels so out of place it, having him say it, not knowing that as con- you know, context for it, but it's like become its own thing now. Uh, she legs it as he's smashing through all the walls behind her because he breaks out of the, the trap she made for him. Well, although she could have just phased him all the way into yeah. the ground so he didn't have the room to move at all and he suffocated. As I was thinking that, you know, I was thinking, why does this bury him? Yeah. The, the mutant mid-carders corner Worthington II and the Doctor in the lab until the girls take him away and Spike Guy hugs and kills the Doctor with his quills. That's so vicious, I think. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty nasty way to go. Um, important note, one of the two mutants that grab the Doctor, or no, the Worthington, should I say, the two girls, is credited as Psylocke. No. Doesn't look anything like the character. And put a pin in her, because Psylocke will return uh, in later episodes. Um, they don't. Things don't go well for them characters either. Uh but um, outside, the X-Men do a bad job of holding the line. In the lab, Kitty finds Jimmy, but can't escape with him nullifying her powers. Juggernaut breaks in and rushes them, but knocks himself out on the wall in Jimmy's room, despite he, not being a mutant. Would he be dead, though, then? Wait, no, he, he wasn't going so fast that it would kill him. He just ran into, and he's wearing his helmet. He's, like, he's a big guy. He's got quite a muscular neck. Um, so he, I, he just knocked himself out. I, I, I'm not going to question that. I, I, I won't go against saying, like, If he's got momentum, if he's got that... Yeah. I, and he did... I, it's, it could be plausible. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, you don't. I don't think you see him again. No. So sorry. he might be dead. <laughs> um, although, if he is still alive, he's just wandering around out there somewhere in the universe. He might just be brain dead. He might have brain damage. <laughs> I mean, like, that's a serious hit if he knocks you out. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, on the roof, the B team toss Worthington off. Not, I mean, throw him off the roof. They killed. They killed the other woman inside with a spike. Why did they take it all the way to the roof? Just to, uh, I know. I know, I know. For, like, <laughs> for the film to work, I know. But it's just like to make a grand scene of it, I suppose. Um, uh, only for Worthington number three to swoop in and save him out of nowhere. Out front, Storm tosses a Speedy Seer into a fence. And brutally murders her with lightning. You see a little piercing crook in her chin. <laughs> <laughs> On the bridge, Magneto finally gets involved, tossing cars as Pyro lights them. Uh, eventually, Wolverine spots a cure cartridge on the floor. He, Storm and Beast agree quietly to work as a team. Again, like they already were. Uh, and Bobby is tasked with taking out Pyro. Uh, Bobby then freezing a car in midair. Somehow... His ice beats both magnetism and gravity because it just stops in the air. I don't know how, how it works. Uh, Magneto sneers and just lets Pyro fight him instead of just tossing like 10 more cars in. <laughs> uh, Storm creates cover in the form of mist and Pyro and Bobby fight. We see Pyro has a little sparker on his wrist. You see that earlier in the yeah. film, but it's what he uses to ignite because he can't make fire, you can just control it as we remember from before 
Eventually, Pyro overcomes Bobby with fire until Bobby ices up and headbutts Pyro out. Should have stayed in school. <laughs> I can uh, see where the Iceman becomes... He gets his, you know, his powers awaken even more, I guess. Because mm. obviously he becomes fully ice. Like He gets to concentrate yeah. and try to go as far as possible. Um, and obviously that's a big fan thing moment because he's always been portrayed as being able to oh, be yeah. ice. Or, or Snow in yeah. the original X-Men. Um, Glosses does a fastball special with Wolverine, tossing him at Magneto, who then holds him in place as a distraction for Mags as Beast leaps in from the fog Have and jabs darts into <laughs> Eric. Actually, I have. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, he does a good job of looking disgusted with himself. As Eric's powers fade, like that moment where, yeah. Ma- like where Beast stabs him, and he's just like, I-, "I feel terrible about what I've done," despite this person needing to be stopped. He he makes a plea to Jean before collapsing. Wolverine tells Jean it's over before the army arrive on foot and shoot all the everything at her. He suspend she suspends their shots in the air and disintegrates them, before turning to face the army and disagreeing disintegrates them all too she turns to land on a mound of rubble and starts making everything sort of float about Magneto looks on as she does saying what have I done before fleeing with the bulk of people Wolverine decides he's the only one capable of stopping her and tells Storm to get everybody safe Jean ter- starts turning everyone and everything to nothing, including the B-team who come running out, yeah. the, the B-team mutants. Wolverine is somehow unaffected. Um, I know the conceit is he heals fast enough to be able to deal with yeah. it, but she disintegrates everything yeah. in an instant, so that should yeah. nullify the fact he can heal because everything should be gone at once. There's nothing to heal. Um, somewhat famously... In some of the comics, for example, uh, Cyclops has disintegrated Wolverine's hand and it's not grown back. Really? Oh. Uh, Age of Apocalypse. Side distorted narrative. And Wolverine's been disintegrated by Sentinels as well. He's been killed that way. Uh, he approaches very slowly as bits of him start to dissolve. And, we and his clothes, fortunately, just his top, not his jeans, get blown away. <laughs> Uh, not that I've got anything against the nude male body, but it's very convenient. It's just his, his shirt that gets disintegrated. Yeah, yeah it's flexion muscles for the Yeah. <laughs> he approaches and she asks, would you die for them? To which he says, no, for you. She's never shown anything beyond a surface level infatuation with her until now. I mean, he didn't even grieve when she died. <laughs> I worry this told a lot of boys that this relationship was love. Like viewers might think that's how people are supposed to... Yeah. When you barely know someone, if you've been even liking them, is somehow love now. But um, it wasn't, just for people listening. Um, she breaks and asks him to save her. He whispers he loves her. Again, even though they never spent any real time together. And stabs her, killing her. Uh, we cut to two graves. Jean and Scott. Finally, somebody acknowledges Scott was alive yeah. in the first place. Um, Kitty is looking down upon the graves quietly. 
Storm approaches and Bobby walks the hall to his room to find Rogue on his bed. She says she's sorry and that it's something she wanted. She, she holds his hand. And in the alternate cut to this, the same scene plays out, but she says, sorry, I just couldn't. This oh. is who I am. So there are two cuts out there. And they decided she definitely cured herself, right? But it's considered that maybe there's a fragment in reality in the canon here. And maybe you can consider that maybe this is where the film starts splitting out into different directions. I don't know. I don't. I'm, we're not going to go with that. What's on film is on film. She lost her powers here. The kids return to school. Wolverine watches Frasier become the American rep to the United Nations on telly. Um, in another alternate cut, Frasier, or Beast, becomes a teacher at the school. It's almost exactly the same scenes, but he's standing in the doorway right. of a storm. Which makes sense, because there's only storm right now. What's Wolverine going to teach? <laughs> like, basketball or something. How to be a jerk. <laughs> like <laughs> Everything he teaches is going to be wrong. He's going to use his claws to play basketball, probably, and bust all the balls. He leaves the TV on, Wolverine, when he sees Fraser on the telly, and heads outside. What a lovely day. Where's Colossus? Did he die at the big battle or something? Because you don't see him again. Is that we can't we can't afford we can't, we can't yeah we can't have he might want a line or something now. Um, we see the bridge rebuilt somehow very quickly. Uh, Angel swooping by, Eric in the park, and not under arrest for mass murder or crimes against humanity. <laughs> he got away with that, didn't he? Somehow. <laughs> you know, I just look like a man now. Just go whatever. Once you're human, you can't be tried as a mutant, I suppose. He's playing chess alone and we see him attempt to move a piece with his lost powers. It wobbles ever so slightly. But that could have been his knee. So, you know. Credits. In the credits it says, Thanks to Fox for the use of WNYW, Fox 5 name, Call of Duty 2 on Xbox 360 and Pitfall on PS2, Activision. Both Activision. We go through the credits. Yes, they're both Activision. Very easy to just go to Activision for two games. Post-credits. The show's first of many. So this is the first ever post-credits scene. Like Blade was supposed oh. to have one. But didn't. I think it was Blade 1. Um, but this is the first time we ever see one. And I'm not sure if it's the first post-credits scene in comic book movies. Because I know there isn't any in Spider-Man movies, right? I don't remember I mean, we we will find out at some point, maybe. So, um, interesting for that point. The spate of comic book movies with post-credit scene will ramp up at this point. Um, We see the comatose man from the video earlier. The Doctor, Moira, walks in and greets him. Good morning. We cut in close to his chest from his angle. And we hear Charles say, Hello, Moira. And we cut to black. So, I mean, that's interesting. What did you think of the whole film? Now you've, we've talked through it. I still enjoy this film. 
I think it's a fun watch, you know. It's got its issues, like, it kind of contradicts itself sometimes, but... I also like the post credits in it as well, because it kind of just... Because that charge went, he's technically... Uh, how he survived that, he's like, you some weird... Well... <laughs> meant like the... <laughs> it, here's some interesting history. Um, so the body in the bed was always played by Patrick Stewart. Mm. So when you see him in the video, that's Patrick Stewart. Mm. Narratively, they're implying that it's his twin brother. No. Oh. In the bed. Just he was born for some reason with no consciousness or something like oh, so his consciousness is transferred into his next compatible oh. twin or another version of himself maybe I don't know historically the character has a twin but um, in the normal 616 universe <laughs> in that universe as a baby in the womb Charles murdered his own twin <laughs> using his latent psychic powers because he could tell as a fetus that the other fetus twin was going to be evil later. <laughs> she survived somehow and this is weird like maybe in the ultimate universe I don't know she turns up in one of the two universes of comics and she has a different name, but she survived as a fetus. <laughs> this is all from the reading I found. I, I may be entirely wrong, but that's what I, my research okay. led me to find out. I just, I just, and yes, his twin was a sister. It wasn't a father. Okay. She turns up and she is a villain. And then later on, there's maybe some sort of resolution. And they, it's like she wants revenge because of what he did as a fetus. Charles Xavier's dead, I think, in the no. comics now. Anyway, so I mean, it's most... all very confusing. <laughs> I, I just feel, I just feel like it's, I guess it can make sense, but it just doesn't really. Which is again, we, the films will address the fact that he's he's in this other yeah. body to an extent later, but we'll gloss over it at the same yeah. time. But as a as a stinger, it's <laughs> weird and interesting and unexpected. Um. <laughs> but what can you say at that point like the first time you've seen anything like this and, and he's just there talking out somebody else's right. body and you can't see that it's him playing that character yeah. it's weird um, so I, I asked you to take some notes while while uh, we were watching or while you were watching yours um, so what's, what would you say was your best scene from the film it's how I quite like the transit scene when Mystique is turned to human and Magneto leaves her because I feel like it's just a weird like yeah Magneto like, versus the convoy is yeah. my best scene in the film as well there's a couple of scenes I, I, like that could be close to it um, but yeah I picked the same one what was it about it for you? I just feel like it was that uh, the way he's like, using his powers there flipping all the cars and when Mystique becomes human he's just like you're one of them he just walks off like after she literally saved like she put her life on the line just for him, like... Yeah. He's like... It's all about Magneto. Yeah. Um, I think the, the moving the bridge thing, that's like... You, what did you say? It was coming flexing out... Flexing his, well, yeah, his, flexing his yeah. power. But at the same time, it's like, it's too... It's, it's, uh, it's not... He's just quietly moving this big mm. object. It isn't... It's grand as in scale, but it isn't... It, 
impressive or well sort of directed. But I guess it'd be more impressive because like, someone's trying to shoot bombs at him. Like, maybe, yeah, and it's just like, the... um, but the like, I think it's more impressive in in the smaller scene with the convoy because it kind of is another another version of that escaping the prison mm. scene from the second one, where it's just him. He's in full control. He doesn't need to be showy. He does very small things, just one or two things, and then it's having these big, drastic impacts. Mm. That's, he turns up, and in five seconds, he's got the job done. And he's that powerful. He's that good and that calm. Um, and that thoughtful, like, unlikely big battle at the end where he's throwing these mutants to lose their powers. And it's like, if he's thought about how his powers and how powerful he is, he could steamroll everything with no risk to himself. Um, so it, does, it makes him look really impressive as a character. It makes the actor impressive. also shows, like you say, his cold side. You know, so it gives a bit more yeah. context to him as a, a character in the film. So, I, you know, I really like that scene. Um, what would you say was your best line in the film? I quite like it says in the park. Well, no, wait, no, it's in the wait, wait, Magneto Fest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Magneto Fest. He wish to cure us. Uh, what, the whole speech? Or yeah, just, just that the whole one? speech, yeah. Um, you know, my I picked the argument between Wolverine and the professor. It's quite good as well, right? And he just says the line, you have, uh, you have no idea. You have no idea what she's capable of. And he says, no, Professor, I had no idea what you were capable of. And I, I like that because it's like it's very simple. It's just two lines, but it draws their, their, their line between them. But I have a, a runner-up, which is... Um, is that a present line where he's Yeah, I that's quite That's quite a good line in a way that is really it's kind of, good. It's kind of like makes sense nowadays as well. Like. Yeah, it's always, <laughs> um, I worry about democracy where one man can move cities with his mind and then Beast just goes, as do I. Because if you visit a place with your newspapers, yeah. <laughs> like one newspapers, <laughs> it's like, I mean, he's talking about, I know he's Mag- talking about, he's, but, you're talking about Magneto yeah. and then Beast is just saying, well, I'm talking about you as well. It's like, brilliant. Piece of writing, quite a true like thing anyway. Like, yeah, and I think that's what works is like, small little bite-sized yeah. bits that say a lot. Um, uh, any sort of runner-ups for you aside from those? I quite like when he's like, Cow and always like, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> well, when he's a human, he's kind of really realised like, so why did it take him so long to reflect on it? <laughs> oh, I fucked up. But <laughs> I've royally messed this one. When up. he become a human, he's like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm gonna just go to an old folks' home now. Fuck. Um, favorite character or best character? Favorite character. I say Storm. I love Storm. You know, she. I feel like In, for this film specifically. Or for just... you know, I don't know. For this film, it's hard because it's not like the biggest thing is Storm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, any reason why specifically? Aside from just Storm in general. Just Storm in general. Yeah. yeah. Um. I've chosen Juggernaut Juggernaut. for this this one because Vinnie Jones is hamming the fuck up out of this. I feel like he's he's loving it. He's loving it. You could definitely tell he's enjoying it, but he's just like, (laughs) oh, I'm not some sort of gangster. I'll get to be a really stupid cartoon villain. He's loving every moment of it. Like when he gets out of the prison transport and he's just like, um, when he's talking about his outfit. And why he doesn't take off yeah. his helmet, and he's like, uh, just like, how he pretty he is yeah. and stuff. And 
yeah, sure, the Iron Juggernaut bitch line is just ridiculous. Yeah. But at the same time, it's so over the top yeah. and campy. It's just a lot of fun. Um, I think Beast is a nice runner-up. Yeah. I think the problem is with all the other characters is they're all the Southern Magneto who gets to shine a bit more than the others. They're all either very well established and therefore stick, sticking to what they are um, and not doing anything really out of their warehouse or stand out. Or they're like Wolverine, so inconsistent and not a great portrayal. Yeah, I, I feel like this film is all about Magneto, isn't it? It's yeah, kind of, the whole series is all about Magneto. Guess, yeah, He's like the linchpin of the But this film series. particularly feels like it's more Magneto-based heavy, like... Hmm. I mean, that, none of the other characters really get developed at all, like... It's supposed to be Jean. Yeah, I know. And um, how many lines does she even get? <laughs> like, she spends part of the film asleep and being stripped and she's pretty much under control by other Charles or she's like, under control by Magneto. She's, like. she's <laughs> standing there for the final battle and doing nothing <laughs> for the whole time and barely says a word. Um... For somebody who's like a being of pure like compulsion and lust, and like it didn't desire, mean, like, it didn't mean either in it at all. No, like it didn't need her at all. Like because it just have Magneto in it. I mean, I understand that there has to be a reason to do something, but if she, if you wrote her out, the whole scene, you, yeah. everything, it could all just be entirely about the cure. Yeah, because she doesn't really affect that no. story that much. Like apart from obviously she kills Psycho. It's a shame. <laughs> But you could easily have done all of it without without yeah. her, uh, even killing Cyclops, maybe, or the Professor, even that something could have happened. Or maybe Cyclops got killed by accident. <laughs> yeah, anything, anything at all. Um, you could even make it that the something involving the cure killed the Professor. Yeah, and then the X Men would have a conflict in protecting the kid in the facility but would still be making the moral choice, despite the yeah. fact they killed the professor. Because she's like, one of the most powerful mutants. Like, it's, it's just felt like she was underused in this film. Like, In this film, uh, and Cyclops in yeah. all of the films, yeah. at least with new characters, they, they have the chance to either be really campy, yeah. like Jonah, or do something yeah. interesting. You can do the development of a new character. The only other character, maybe, to a lesser extent, is Rogue who at least has an inf- interesting conflict yeah. and narrative. But that's more about the overall writing around the yeah. character than anything she says or does that's really stand out yeah. as a performance. Um, she's fine as, as a performer, but yeah, she's not really up there with entertaining yeah. or interesting. Or, um, so yeah, I'd say those two, really. Um, and I'm sure Logan's going to get his chance to shine at some point. Uh so far, I don't think he's been in the first three. The first trilogy, we've done the main trilogy. Mm. I don't think he's really the key sort of um, standout character in any of the films yet. No, I, just, I just feel like sometimes <laughs> the writing doesn't, doesn't do these characters justice. Again, compared... except for Magneto and yeah. to another extent for the first couple of films The Professor. Because at least they have that back and forth. Yeah. They're intelligent. You know the the conversations between them about their morals is not insulting think, to yeah. people watching. Like it doesn't treat you like kids or, or stupid because it's a comic book film. Uh, anything else you want to highlight about the films before we move on to the last section? No. No. Cool. Uh, so post release and a bit of critical reception. Uh, the cast that are leaving. Um. So now, let's talk about Brett Ratner the director of X-Men 3, Blast Stand. 
in 2007, he directed Rush Hour 3, and in 2008, New York, I Love You, Segment 5. Um, segment 5. In 2009, uh, the Shooter Series, Volume 1, directed this video. Um, in 2011, he directed Tower Heist, which was one of the first films that was Eddie Murphy and someone else. Um, that was supposed to be one of the first films that was released directly to streaming services yeah. at the same time as cinema. Yeah. And then it didn't work out. And in 2013, he directed a segment for Movie 43, the Happy Birthday segment. Obviously, that's a famously bad film. I don't think I've ever seen it. Yeah, it's probably for the best. You haven't seen it. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll watch watch that and do some sort of weird special on it. Um, in 2014, he was the producer uh, and director on Hercules with The Rock. I think I've seen that. Maybe. In 2017... Uh, he was accused of sexual misconduct by six women, including the actors Nastasha Hendrich, uh, which is from Species, oh, yeah. and Olivia Munn, who we will see later in the X-Men films. Um, as written on the Guardian website, according to a report in, in the Los Angeles Times, the Rush Hour and X-Men Last Stand director has been accused of behaving... Uh, of behaviour ranging from sexual assault to harassment that took place in private homes, movie sets and industry events. Henstridge, uh, who is best known for starring in the 1995 sci-fi film Species, made the allegation to the Times that Ratner had forced her to perform all sex on him in his New York apartment while she was starting out as a model in the early 90s. He strong-armed me in a real way. He physically forced himself on me, and at some point I gave in and just did his thing, um, she said. A former Daily Show correspondent, Munn, claims that Ratner behaved inappropriately towards her on several occasions in the 2000s, including masturbating in front of her in his trailer on the set of the film After the Sunset in 2004. Munn later wrote that the incident in, in her 2010 book Suck It, Wonder Woman the misadventures of a Hollywood geek. Uh, while she didn't mention the director by name, Ratner later acknowledged that he was the person in question during an appearance on a TV show, and he said he had slept with Munn, a claim he later retracted. It's like, wow. imagine being the sort of dick who'd go on national or international television, and say, yeah, I was the guy who sexually assaulted that woman and, and got my cock out and masturbated in front of her. Even she did, I'm surprised she didn't name him, but she was be, I guess she's... Yeah. Um, what, is, uh, what is it about these films <laughs> that all the directors turn into, out to be sex perverts? I guess or sort of sex... Per, guess sex perverts from... isn't even as bad as it is. It's worse than that. I guess it's a form of power, isn't it? Because they've got power, like why these films specifically? I don't know. I guess I guess it's direct they they choose the lower cloth of it. Following on from this, uh, it was reported that he was accused of rape. Also from the Guardian, uh, Variety obtained a Facebook post in which Meline Kohler, Kohler, sorry, a former employee of the Endeavor talent agency accused the Rush Hour director of forcing himself on her. In a post from the 20th of October, Kohler writes that Ratner preyed on her at a club about 12 years ago. 
took her to the home of producer Robert Evans, while Ratner was living, where Ratner was living at the time, and forced himself on her. Excerpts from the post were obtained by way of the libel suit Ratner filed against Cola after she posted her account online. So she posted this had happened to her, so he tried to shut her down legally. He is currently attempting to make a comeback, plotting a biopic about the infamous pop act Millie Vanilli. Of all things, um, uh, I've read recently that that has been closed down, thankfully. Because he doesn't deserve to have a job. Um, what can you say, really? Two directors down so far, yeah. and both of them have been wrong ones. And we're going to see one of them again multiple times. So hold on to your hats for that. Well, um, uh, in lighter news, Kelsey Grammer, uh, since that in 2010, received his first Tony Award nomination for his performance in The Cage of Follies. In 2016, Grammer won a Tony Award as producer of The Colour Purple. In 2019, Grammer starred as Don Quixote in a production of Man of La Mancha at the London Coliseum. Uh, throughout his career in television, Grammer has won five Primetime Emmy Awards, three Golden Globe Awards, one Daytime Emmy Award and one Tony Award. Additionally, he has also worked as a television producer, director and writer. You'll find attached to the bottom of the um, uh, details uh, for you to check out. There'll be uh, links to all of the Brett Ratner stuff as well, if you want to check those snippets out for context and more information. Uh, Aaron Stanford, post-X-Men, uh, he last stand, he went into guesting in several shows. Uh, we don't see him again, I don't think. Um, aside from... Yeah. Technically, we see—I don't want to spoil it—but we technically see Kelsey Grammer again. But it's so technical that we—it's not really worth mentioning. You know? um, but for the most part, all of the cast turn up again in the film. Oh yeah, yeah. all of them. It's, far, it's a way away. It's a bit away away, but we'll get there. Um, Aaron Stanford, post X Men, several shows he was in uh, uh, and films until 2010. Where he had a recurring role in Nikita as Seymour Burkoff. I like that. I like that TV series as well. Yeah, uh, and Lionel <laughs> Peller. Between 2015 uh, and 18, he was in Twelve Monkeys as a lead character, James Cole. Uh, in 2016, he was in Comedy Bang Bang as Tim Holt Holtby, John Johnny Appleseed in two episodes. And in 2018, he starred in Fear the Walking Dead as Jim Bauer. Uh, for six episodes, uh, most recently in 2020, Perry Mason as George Gannon. So we kept him both busy. <laughs> Vinnie Jones, Green Prime Street. Vinnie Jones. Green Since Street. filming uh, Last Stand in 2005, Jones has been busy. Uh, notable roles, roles include Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties as Rommel. 2006, he was in The Condemned with. What's he? Who was he in it with? Who's in The Condemned? Who's the lead actor in The Condemned? Jeez. God, you should know this. Of all people, you should know this. <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin. I know. Uh, in 2008 horror Midnight Meat Train as Mahoney. Um, uh, in 2010, Smoking Aces 2, Assassin's Ball as Finbar. 
uh, the surgeon McTeague in 2011 in Kill the Irishman as Keith Whitson. And hundreds of movies since. You go through and find the films he's been in. He's been in lots of stuff. Bit parts, big parts, villains, all sorts. He's kept himself super busy. Um, and good on him. That's quite impressive for a football, football player, though. Because mm. only four players... Then it's really not go- bad what he does. But only four players then really go on to like, make movies, like... No, it's not really a path. Except like, for uh, Cantona, obviously. Yeah, but it's not really a path they ch- like. They go into like. No, no. Um, usually, it's becoming a commentator. Yeah, or pundit. Like like, uh, yeah. <laughs> In 2019, uh, Jones's wife of 25 years sadly passed away after a long illness. He later, in 2020, put out messages online to encourage those grieving and dealing with loss during the difficult time to open up about their experiences. In the same year. Jones helped save a man's life by performing CPR on the 90-year-old man. I mention this now because he knew it. He knew how to do it as a result of making a public information video for the NHS several years before, which I'll add to this episode as it's oh, glorious. God. I've shown this to you. Vinnie Jones, I what? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, it's Vinnie Jones. I'm going to play it here now anyway, but it's Vinnie Jones performing CPR on someone and it's like filmed as him as a sort of gangster character with a couple of other guys uh, to the, the rhythm of uh, staying alive oh, the Bee Gees. Yeah. then his heart stopped working he's having a cardiac arrest look lively first call 999 then you do hands only CPR and no kissing you only kiss your missus on the lips watch lock your fingers together knuckles up then push down right on the sovereign Push down five or six centimetres. That's about two inches in old money. Push hard and fast about two times a second. Like to the beat of staying alive. Worried you'll hurt him? Better a cracked rib than him kicking the bucket. Keep this up till the ambulance arrives. So don't forget, check him over. Call 999, push hard and fast to staying alive. It works. Um, and it's just glorious. Um, outside of Brett Ratner, Vinnie Jones and Aaron Sanford, no cast member of the note leaves the series at this point, like I said. Um, while I've listed some things about grammar has done since, we will, again, technically see him again. So, the next episode after this fun ride, um, we are going to be visiting the first of the official X-Men spin-off series films, the cinematic classic, X-Men Origins Wolverine. I wouldn't call it a classic, but... <laughs> <laughs> so you're looking forward to that? It's not as bad as the Generation X, but... It's not bad. <laughs> I, I, I look forward to watching it again. I've never seen it, so... I mean, I've seen enough clips of it. I know everything pretty much that happens. I might have a new appreciation for it, you know. <sighs> It'll be fun breaking it down on on some levels. I don't think much happens, though, really. Well, don't spoil it. I won't spoil it. <laughs> don't, don't ruin it for me. I'm so looking forward to it. Um, it might be better. It might be a bit easier for you. But I don't think like I don't think it raises many questions. Conundrums, but I, can't, I could be wrong. I I'm, mean, this is going to be the first point in the timeline where we go backwards yeah. in time, and actually, I think we established the first point on the timeline yeah. for X Men. Um, maybe the earliest point on the timeline overall, if you count. Yeah, I think you do because it does go back to like yeah. So, from what I know. 
Um, I mean, I've only watched it once, so I might. might, might. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that'd be interesting. So if you've uh, enjoyed the show, feel free to email us with your thoughts or find us on Twitter at subitsu.com or at subitsu. Well, I've, got, I've got a website, <laughs> www.subitsu.com. Feel free. Um, on Twitter at subitsu. Um, you want to share your Twitter? Limbo Bond. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and feel free to email us with any thoughts about the film. Have you got any memories of X Men Origins Wolverine or even thoughts about the episode you've just talked make you watch it? Mm. Um, if you want to watch along with us, I suppose, before the show, uh, at timelinepod at gmail.com. And we will, if we get anything, we will read it out next episode. Yeah. Uh, that'll be interesting. But um, yes, I've had, I enjoyed watching this film, even though it's flawed. It's an enjoyable watch. It's not like. Yes, yes. Um, but yes, until next time, thank you for joining us and. Uh, peace out, Homo sapiens. Yes, peace, pe- <laughs> peace out, Homo sapiens everywhere. <laughs>